0: Okay. Did you ever think you were made good I feel I'm supposed so I could take sweet victory. I know this life meant for me yeah, yeah, yeah. why would you bet on Goliath when we got bet David yeah. value payment giving values contagious this world of entrepreneurs we get no value to hate it out running homie look what I
1: become' I'm the, I'm the one
2: It's not just a terrible movies out. Outside of the fact there's terrible movies out-hm mm-hmm. Avatar is not a date movie. Like yeah. a first date movie. Anyways, yeah. we're struggling here with Adam. Adam's trying to go on a <laughs> date to see what movie to go to. Uh, kids made some co- comedy, not comedy, cartoon recommendations, but I think you want to stick to a movie. Anyways, yeah. we have a special guest today. We have uh, uh, Reza Aslan in the house today. If you don't know him, you may have heard his number one New York Times bestselling book, uh, Zealot, The Life and Times of Jesus of Nazareth. He's written a few other books. I think he's written four books on the topic of religion Uh, 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 There's No God But God. I can go on and on about the things that he's done. Multiple New York Times bestseller. Recent book that just came out, which we'll talk about later on today as well, An American Martyr in Persia. Found out he's a Presbyterian, which is fantastic. Well, He, he, he he is. Not you. He is. You're (laughs) definitely not a Presbyterian, which we'll get into. But uh, he's a Raiders fan. His uh, aunt uh, is, uh, I believe, uh, uh, Leila Furuhar, which in the Iranian community, if you don't know, that's a very, very big deal. deal. Yes, it's like saying your aunt is... uh, I, share. I share. share. Yeah, it's like at <laughs> oh, that wow. no, no, like literally. That's what that is. <laughs> Do you believe? Yeah. And we had a show on CNN. He's done a lot of stuff. He loves debates. Maybe he does. I don't know if he does love debates. <laughs> he seems to like debates. He's been on the Bill Marshall multiple times. He's been on all over. The- I mean, if you turn on if you go on CNN, you you uh, if you go on Google, you search his name on YouTube. Uh, you'll see a ton of different interviews. Reza, thank you so much for coming out and being a guest good, today.
0: Some good stuff, some bad stuff. Some good stuff, some bad <laughs> stuff, yes. No, it's a pleasure to be here, you But guys. But thank that, you. That's,
2: that's the part about, to me, at least for me, my interest is sitting with people that have some good stuff, some good, bad stuff, some controversial stuff. That's what makes for interesting. If you're playing it too safe, that's yeah. uh, boring. It's just, well, I, I don't think that's the route to go. Well, look, my primary fields are religion and politics. That's not
0: exactly... Very you peaceful. Know, polite, yeah. polite conversation. Great that's
3: kitchen that. table topics. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that never causes any What do you guys want to talk
0: about during Thanksgiving? Everyone. Listen.
3: You want to go religion or politics here? <laughs> yeah. We go either way.
0: I'm, I'm simultaneously the most interesting uh, dinner guest and the worst yeah. 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 Right. dinner guest.
1: Known for very short, loud dinners. <laughs> yes,
2: that's right. Well, I mean, you know, one, one thing I... I uh, uh, respect about you is how much you admired the Trump family. Like your level of <laughs> yes, you know I when am. I when I see it's true. the your your tweets, man. It was just like constant admiration, am, uh, love. It was like non stop a little too much honesty if you I am all about
0: making America great again. <laughs> That's my, that's my jam. That's my jam.
2: Okay. So that that should kind of give you an idea if you don't know who he is. <laughs> we're, we're being hardcore sarcastic for the people that take things literal. Anyways, Reza, if you don't mind, take a quick moment. Give the audience who doesn't know your background.
0: Uh, I was born in Iran yep. in uh, 1972, which makes me 50, which is insane. Oh, sure. Uh Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh uh, my family was, you know, like an upper middle class family, landowning uh, family, big, large, uh, tribal family. My father uh, was a kind of a troublemaker, um, communist. Uh, today? Leanings. Today, really? exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but like college today, the way that all college kids
2: are sort of communist. <laughs> Do you know Just so you mean? know, my family, too. Yeah. So my mother yeah. said. So today, today, if you want to share with the audience what today is. So
0: today was the primary communist party in Iran in the 1970s, and it actually had a massive role in the success of the 1979 revolution that got rid of the Shah, and that eventually, about a little more, little less than a year later, uh, replaced the Shah with Khomeini whose first act was to get rid of all the
2: communists. <laughs> so, Which is kind of crazy. Uh, they thought they were going to make it better for two days, but it got worse for them. They
0: thought they could control the religious fanatics. And if there, if there's not a lesson there, then you're not paying attention, right? <laughs> it's, I think the Communist Party, they were the intellectuals of the movement. They gave the movement uh, teeth, and they helped— Uh, I think, you know, less politically minded people understand exactly what was at stake in this revolution. But in the end, it's the religious uh, leaders who have the ability to bring people out onto the streets. Right. Ideas don't go anywhere if there aren't thousands of people willing to risk their bodies in order to implement those ideas. And so it was this weird marriage Uh, of convenience to begin with, right? These, like, secularists, mainly atheists, uh, intellectuals and communists, and the religious pious masses. Uh, They married together to get rid of the Shah, but then as soon as the Shah was gone, the cracks in that relationship very quickly formed, and, and I remember very clearly my father... Uh, one morning, very—I mean, at least from my seven-year-old perspective—very suddenly, saying, "It's time to go. We got—we got to go
2: right what now." What year? This was seventy-nine. So, oh, you left in seventy-nine.
0: Okay. Left in seventy-nine. So, we left after the Shah uh, left. Left after Khomeini arrived. Where we're did you live? Where did you
2: live? Like, where in Iran did you live? In Tehran. What part yeah. of Tehran?
0: Oh, we were in the north.
2: Okay, yeah, I got it. The, yeah.
0: yeah. Nice we were, area. Yeah, we were the nicer area. We had we had yeah. things. Gandhi, what
2: uh, what city would you say if you're in the Gandhi area? Like what area? Do you remember the area or no? I don't remember the exact. There was an area like if you lived in the north, you're like uh, to say uh, what would be the uh, you know. Uh, it's like saying you lived in Beverly Hills type of area. Maybe not Beverly Hills, but it's like to say you live in a good area. Yeah. Well, I will say that,
0: like those people, the ve- the very rich people, they got the message way before anybody else. 73, did. They, 74, yeah they, all, yeah. they all got out with their Swiss bank accounts uh, intact.
3: Ha- and have you been back to Iran since you left in seventy nine?
0: Just once. I went back in two thousand and five before I I was anyone, and when I could just kind of you know sneak under the the radar.
3: Yeah.
0: Um. It was. This was. Really Right after Ahmadinejad uh, became president, good timing. So It was like, yeah, it was a crazy time, and I went back for about eight, nine weeks um, for, on a research trip, but also to see my family, to see my, you know, home, and just to kind of see what the place was like. Um, that's probably the last time I'll get to see Ron. What Farrington. would happen if
3: you went back now? And, and what do you think would happen if someone like Pat would go back now? Because that's a lifelong dream of his. I just don't know the reality of it.
0: I think that if I went back now, uh, I would probably be never heard from again. I'd probably disappear at the airport. I think if Pat went back now, he would be welcomed with open arms, and then someone would knock on his door a few days later and say, you sent a text, uh, and that text makes you a spy. Come with us.
3: Does there need to be any justification for them you know, taking you away, or is it just that the uh, theocrats are just going to come get you and that's just how it works?
0: See, here's, here's the, the awful truth about Iran, is that there are a lot of ways that we could label it, that it's a theocratic regime, or that it's a fascist regime, or that it's like a military regime. But the truth of the matter is that, like most autocratic states— it's impossible to really know who's in charge of what, right? The the person in charge of your life is the guy on the other side of the desk, <laughs> you know. If he's a bureaucrat, yeah. If he's had a nice lunch, and a, and you know had a nice conversation with his wife, then maybe you're okay. If he had a fight with his wife, then mm-hmm. you're screwed. Yeah. And and It's not like you can point to the law to say, but that's not how it works, right? Um, In countries like Iran, the law is whatever the person in front of you says the law is. And that makes these kinds of situations very difficult. So when an American citizen of Iranian heritage, which happens quite often, uh, gets arrested and accused of these sort of very vaguely worded crimes, it's very hard for the, the American government to kind of do anything legally to support them because the law is such an absolute mess over there. Is, is, there, is there a law in Iran, an established constitutional law, that provides for uh, f- uh, a, a fair judicial process for anyone committed of a, uh, who, who is uh, allegedly committed a crime? Yeah, absolutely. Does anyone pay any attention to that? No. I mean, you could appeal to it, but people just sort of laugh at you. That's the problem with... Not just Iran,
2: but all of these sort of autocratic states. Please go back to the to the upbringing. So I am follow I'm tracking all of it. That today. It's kinda of a rebel like the younger ones, like yeah. you know, two days in a movie theater, you would stand up to kind of give recognition to the Shah, and two days wouldn't stand up. Like yeah. they would they would do they were rebels. Like they that. were like stuff exactly. like that. Yeah. Yeah. And then go ahead, continue. We're listening. So well, seven years old, you guys that your your dad says we gotta get out of here, seventy-nine. Right before Khomeini, right after Shah, you guys leave. You come to the states.
0: Yeah, and and I think for my dad too. People don't people forget that when Khomeini, Khomeini, Jesus, when Khomeini returned.
2: Just so uh, you know, to Americans, it's the same. It's the same guy, (laughs) but to us,
0: it's different. Yes, no, the
3: OG, the OG, OG. Khomeini, (laughs) Khomeini. It's very new. You got that, Rob? It's Khomeini. (laughs) By the way, he corrected himself when he corrected
2: himself. Americans are like, what is he he he, doing? Please thank you for. <laughs> Emphasizing a, there, that extra but high, there, but there's a big difference. Yes, Khomeini's the, yeah. the OG. Say yeah. it. OG. Would you
3: for the for us, uh, Gringo Americans, pronounce the different name?
0: Khomeini. I, you,
3: you fucking me yeah. up. I got gotcha. you. <laughs> Stop it. I got gotcha. you. Stop
0: it. <laughs> Khomeini was the founder of the Islamic Republic, mm-hmm. and and the guy who invented the very idea of the supreme leader. Mm-hmm. Khomeini. Is the current supreme leader? Gotcha. So say the two names back to Khomeini back. Khamenei, Khomeini Khamenei, Khomeini to- Khamenei, Khomeini totally Khamenei. Two totally separate words. It is. Exactly. Doesn't sound
3: anything alike.
0: Anyway, the point is, is that you know when he came back, I think people people don't remember this. When he when he uh, returned from exile in in Iran, there's millions of people came out, you know, to to sort of welcome him as the savior of the of the new Iran. He very publicly announced that he wanted nothing to do with politics, that he had no interest in government, that you know he was happy that the Shah was gone, but he just wanted to be left alone. He wanted to go back to his home and to his family and to his mosque and to his studies. And my dad, who never trusted anything anyone wearing a turban had to say on any subject, just thought, bullshit, like that's, I don't believe that for a minute. And so just in case... Let's grab some things and go. And if it, if it does turn out okay, we'll come back. You know, let's just leave for a little bit. So that's what it was. It was, very, it was really an emergency thing. You know, wake up in the morning, grab some things, put it in a suitcase. And we're going to just leave for a little while. And that was obviously... Where did you guys four, go to? You got straight to,
2: here or did you go like to Spain and then you came here? Was it like an inner...
0: Uh, we, there was a brief stop in London for a lot of Iranians check, yeah. checking out. London was like stop number one. Uh, but then <laughs> for us, our destination in the United States was Oklahoma. Was in Oklahoma. And I to this day, I can't tell you exactly why. My, my, my theory is that when my dad was in college, he did, like, a semester abroad at, at a at a university in Oklahoma, I think in Edmonton, I believe. I don't remember. Eastern Oklahoma. I'm sorry, Oklahomans, that I, I'm unaware of your geography. Just threw them under yeah. the bus. Um, and I think he just thought, well, that's America. Like, that's Oklahoma is America. And Bread so, basket. So if we go to America, then we're going to land in Oklahoma. Which, by the way, he's right <laughs> in, a, in a lot of ways. Uh, but it only took us about a year to realize, oh, there's so much more about America. And so, like so many Iranians, we headed west and ended up in California, but in northern California, not in southern California. Different Iranian diaspora. Where? Uh, in the Bay Area. Okay. Yeah, Yeah.
2: there's a big community there. Well, the
0: Bay—it's like two different communities. So the the first Iranians who fled, the wealthy ones who like took their money with them, all settled in Los Angeles, and so there's a reason we call L.A. Tarangulus, you know. (laughs) Um, And but then the sort of intellectuals, the second wave, the post-revolution people who got out—they all settled in the Bay Area. So it's it's a vastly different community in California the northern california iranians and the southern
2: california iranians so but, but for today to escape, to leave and escape that that doesn't make sense though because i'm assuming your dad was not a fan of the shah right no he was not a fan so, of the shah so so how that is a very strange Kudos to your dad, by the way, for for making that decision. But for knowledge? Yeah. Because so, that doesn't make him sense, him. though. <laughs> that doesn't make... Because the level of hate two days had for the Shah was so massive yeah. that they all wanted anything but the Shah. Because obviously, you know, the whole, look how rich he is. Look at the 2,500-year celebration yeah, he put anything together. Anything is better. Anything the, is better than the, the Shah. Was the thought. Well, I'm surprised that he left.
0: And I think for my dad, the, the two-day politics was m- married to a real anti-religious hardcore atheist uh, materialism view yeah like i i always joke that my dad was the kind of atheist who always had a pocket full of Pop- prophet muhammad jokes that he would pull out at inappropriate times you know what i mean like he was a very kind of vir- virulently anti-religious
2: person how old were you the first time you read communist manifesto <laughs> <laughs> really, I'm, probably, I'm actually curious.
0: I mean, honestly, it was probably not until I was like thirteen, fourteen. Okay, 14, yeah. so you read it here. You didn't read it in Iran. No, yeah,
2: no. that was like the Bible, <laughs> yeah. you know, for two day party. You know, you had to read that to get an understanding about bourgeoisie and you know. Uh, uh, all the other guys anyways, okay, so your your religious ideology like how you, religious beliefs you've you've kind of gone through a little bit of if you don't mind yeah. sharing that with the audience.
0: Well, so you know we grew up uh, culturally Muslim the way that so many people are culturally religious around the world. It was just kind of part of who we are. It was part of our identity. Um, and you know we would go we would go through the the rituals and the holidays and all that stuff. But when we came to the US, I think my father, thought aha well there you, now we don't even have to pretend anymore like we don't have to pay lip service to any of that you know we we'll put the quran away and and roll up the prayer rugs and that's the end of that um my mother you know was raised a little bit differently she was raised primarily by my um by her grandmother uh, her parents were famous actors, you know, in, in Iran, which in Iran is kind of another way of saying prostitute. Um, and so she basically raised by... Yes. by
2: <laughs> Just so you know, he's yeah. right.
0: She was basically raised by her very strict grandmother. And so, you know, my mother would, would pray every once in a while and and um, you know, we would do some of the holidays. But, but the more we stayed in Iran, the more I grew up... I'm sorry, in the U.S., the more I grew up in the U.S., Um, the more and more we systematically stripped our lives and our family of any kind of religiosity. But you have to understand, you know, I was seven when my country was handed over to religious fanatics, and I remember it. I was there on the streets. I watched it happen, and it, I think, instilled in me at a very young age this deep fascination with religion and the power that religion has to transform a society for good and for bad. And and the way that religion can be used as a way to, uh, to make change, but to also identify yourself, to create groups and in-groups, out-groups. I got really fascinated by legends and mythologies. Um, I was just a weird boy. Like, I was a weird boy. I was interested in religion, but in a
2: family in which there was no place to really express that in any meaningful way was your dad and now it may make sense to me was he a Mossadegh guy I'm assuming he was a Mossadegh oh, yeah, guy okay so that makes sense hardcore okay. Mossadegh so of course so, what does that so mean, exactly? Mossadegh is like the original Bernie Sanders that <laughs> the Shah kicked out I've never heard it that, that they, way but you that's know good. He, he I would say he's that's the Bernie good. Sanders that's yeah not, Mossadegh that's not was Bernie Sanders and then eventually what they did with him is with the help of uh the stories are the help of CIA. The same way they got rid of the Shah with the help of CIA and you know, Kissinger and Carter, the same playbook they used with Mossadegh. Well, a little uh, more aggressive. They actually uh, so put them in a village and just. The, the,
0: the, the Mossadegh revolution was in 1953. Uh, where, once again, the Iranians rose up, kicked the Shah out of the country. This is the third time we, we've we done this. In, but not, in, in not, the, the, <laughs> not the
2: young Shah, the, the father, Reza Khan you're talking about.
0: No, no, no. This was, this was Mohammed Reza Pahlavi. Yeah, 50, 53, that's right, yeah, that's 53 right. 53 53, Muhammad,
2: yes. Yeah, the same Shah that left in
0: 79. I love uh, we threw him out and replaced him with this nationalist government. At, at the head was the prime minister, Mohammed Mossadegh. Uh, had very radical sort of democratic nationalistic ideas, one of which was to nationalize Iran's oil. like why are we why are we giving away our oil to the British uh, you know in exchange for rent? like literally that's what it was in exchange for. like they rent the 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 land and then extract the oil and keep it. Um, and so he nationalized the oil, uh, the British, were obviously devastated by that move, but this was post-World War II and the British were just this powerless island now, you know, that the empire was gone. So they asked their good friends, the Americans, for help. And this was when the CIA had first been created. Uh, It came from the OSS, from World War II, but now the war's gone, so now we have this intelligence apparatus. What do we do with this intelligence, nobody had any idea what to do with the CIA until a very clever, clever uh, agent by the name of Kermit Roosevelt, um, the I believe grandson of Teddy Roosevelt, I think, or grandnephew of Teddy Roosevelt, came up with this great idea, and it was, "Hey, why don't we uh, put the Shah back on the throne? I can do that. Give me four guys and a suitcase with a hundred thousand dollars in it, mm-hmm. and that." As absurd and as like Ocean's Eleven as that sounds, economic hitman. It's just <laughs> that was it. it. There were like yeah. four guys. There's a boxer, uh, a communications nerd. I mean, why isn't this a movie? Uh, <laughs> Kermit Roosevelt, who's like this ninety-seven pound Coke bottle glasses wearing mm-hmm. nerd. Uh, he looks like
2: Joe Montana. <laughs>
0: and a couple of other people and uh, with a mustache.
2: No, <laughs> does he not look like Joe Montana? He does look like an elderly Joe Montana a little <laughs> bit.
0: Oh, skinny, kind of right there. Yeah, yeah. Roosevelt. And uh, and it took them a couple of months, and they went to Iran, and in a couple of months they created a fake counter-protest, removed Mossadegh from power, put the Shah back on the throne, and the British said, thank you very much, uh, we'll take the oil back now, and the Americans said, yeah, yeah we did all the work, I think we're just going to stay. And that was the birth of the problematic relationship between the U.S., mm-hmm and Iran that then led in 79 to the anti-American revolution.
2: Do you know the 25-year the, the contract between that? Do you know the story about the 25-year contract? Okay. Can you pull up the 1954 oil Iran contract? Just type that in, it'll come up. This is so interesting with everything you're saying where all the timing is not making sense. There you go. The Consortium mm. Agreement of 1954. Zoom in a little bit for us to read this. They signed a 25-year contract. So the consortium Agreement 1950 1951 provided Western companies with 50% ownership of Iranian oil production after its ratification in 1954-79. Despite the numerous negotiations and offers, the Shah of Iran refused to extend the agreement, which originally and clearly... Postulated that the consortium, he had had the right to prolong at least 15 years, three times five years. Anyways, this thing is expiring in 1979. Uh So check this out. 53 Uh Mossadegh, 54, they signed a contract, 25 years. The ownership, I think, is through with France. I want to say, obviously, UK, yeah. US, and there's one other country in there. I don't know if it's Royal Germany Royal or... Dutch Shell. Uriel Dutch Shell, yeah. So they team it, and then there's a meeting, which, by the way, this would be a very interesting documentary to watch. I watched this. I couldn't believe it. There was a meeting in, in the South or Central America by four uh, leaders in 1978 or 77, deciding on how to make the Shah fall, uh, and... Because they knew, the Shah specifically kept saying, I'm increasing prices. I'm increasing prices once this expires. Obviously, they don't want him to have that kind of power. Boom. With the help of that, the next economic hitman comes in. we got to replace the Shah. Iran's been used by uh, people oh, yeah. of the West for many, many yeah. years. Uh, anyways, okay, so interesting background story. So from that, you go, you become a Christian, I think, for four years because you you I, I want to say you were a Christian for four years at fourteen years old,
0: yeah, fifteen years old, so I mean you know I was fascinated by religion and spirituality, no real place to explore that at home. Uh, a friend of mine invited me to a Christian youth group in high school, um, and I was like, all right, and you know it 's like singing and games and and like wholesome fun and entertainment and camping trips. it was awesome it was and and also. The gospel story, which is a pretty good story. I'm not sure if you're familiar
2: with the story of Jesus. We have a Jew, two Christians, and an atheist trying to get back to being a Presbyterian again. I mean, look, again,
0: whatever you want to, whatever, wherever your spiritual views are, the story of the God of heaven and earth coming down in the form of a baby and then dying for everyone's sins. And then all you have to do is believe that story and you'll never die is a great story, right? And when you're 15 and you hear that, you're like, that's a good story. So I fully 100% uh, converted to this very conservative brand of evangelical Christianity and then spread that story to pretty much everyone I knew until I I went to college and decided I'm going to study this stuff cuz it's so great. It's so fascinating. Who was the who was a teacher that messed you up in college? Who, who, who was, <laughs> it was it? I'm actually curious to know who it was, was it a girlfriend these, or a teacher? It was a teacher. Oh, I went to a Jesuit university and it was the Catholics that screwed me up. The Jesuits who were like, "Oh, yeah, you believe that stuff?" Jesuits <laughs> did it. <laughs> yeah. The Jesuits were sort of the intellectual, yeah, yeah, intellectual uh priesthood in, in the in the Catholic Church. Talk about Santa
1: Clara. Yeah, Santa Clara. Yeah, well, modified Jesuits, but We'll yeah, get, yeah, we'll yeah, like, like
0: Liberation Theology Jesuits, you know, that, like that, that hardcore uh, uh, Jesuits. Um, They're the ones that turned you off from Christianity it's after not that being they, such it's a hardcore they, believer? It's not that they turned me off of Christianity. It's that they taught me the truth of the gospel message. They, they, they told me about Jesus the man— instead of Jesus the Christ, right? Okay. They told me about the historical person who walked the earth 2,000 years ago and said these things, and what the context of what he said meant at the time, and how we should read that today, as opposed to the sort of spiritualization, you know, the metaphysical aspect of the of the things that he said, the way that... His incredibly radical, revolutionary words and thoughts were defanged by the first church and turned into wishy-washy spiritualism, or what we now call Christianity. Um, they gave me an insight into the the original idea of what he was talking about.
3: How different are those two ideas, Jesus the man and Jesus who became the Messiah? How,
0: how- I mean... Jesus the Messiah has no concerns for the cares of this world whatsoever. His only concern is, you know, the world to come. What does it matter what you eat in this world? And what does it matter what you, how you dress? The only world that matters is the world to come. And focus all your attention on that world and not, not the vagaries of this world. That's, that's Jesus Christ. Jesus of Nazareth <laughs> was a radical revolutionary whose sole focus was on the suffering of the people on this world right now and the power structures that were creating that suffering. The Jesus Jesus Christ is, everyone's the same, we're all equal, there's nothing between rich and poor, everyone's the same. Jesus the man said, No, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. The hungry will be will be fed and those who are fed will go hungry. (laughs) Right. Those who have will have it taken away from them and those who don't have will get it. That's not we're all the same. That's the reversal of the social order. Hmm. Right. That's the top and the bottom switching places.
3: Is that more of a socialist component? Is that like a Robin Hood who 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 would he be in a in, the Jesus the man in a in a metaphoric context? I
0: mean, I think he's got more in common with Che Guevara than Robin Hood. I mean, again, Jesus at no point in any of the Gospels does Jesus talk about everyone is equal. Everyone should have the same. That's not a that's not a Jesus line, mm-hmm. right? That the world that I see is one in which everyone has the same. That's socialism the world that jesus talked about was quite a violent world it was a revolutionary world and it was a world in which the first became last and the last became first like that's not a that's not a popular <laughs> viewpoint uh, amongst you know the people in the category of first
2: it's it's, it's interesting though that they're the so the jesuits in Santa Clara, made you look at Jesus as the Messiah and the individual. So then you went through the journey there, and then how did that bring you back to Muslim?
0: Well, so the kind of evangelical Christianity that I had ascribed to is very rigid. And at its core is this idea that the Bible is literal, and it is inerrant. And it takes 10 minutes <laughs> of research to discover that both of those things are total bullshit. Like the Bible is riddled with errors. I mean, riddled with the most basic, most obvious contradictions and errors. Um, and that the idea that it should be lit- read literally, you know, makes no sense at all. And so once you start understanding the chasm between the man Jesus and how he became the Christ of Christianity, it's really hard to continue to follow the Christ of Christianity any longer. And so... Would you give some
3: examples of that, by the way? Like the most palpable errors that that you would just notice
0: immediately? uh, Yeah, sure. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke say that uh, Jesus uh, was crucified on a Thursday. uh, And... uh, the Gospel of John says it was like a Sunday. So, in other words, it was before the Passover, and the Gospel of John was after the Passover. Um, you know, Matthew uh, has Jesus, uh, for some strange reason, going to Egypt, uh, whereas Luke says has the same birth story, says nothing about Jesus. Um, uh, in Matthew, uh, Jesus is born in what we would now recognize as probably um, 10 AD ish, eight or ten AD, um, and in Luke, Jesus is born in what we now recognize at about four BC. Um, so, uh, you know, it's there's all these contradictions. It's just very obvious, clear contradictions. Well, the the, the reason the, the reason
3: I ask that because the obvious question is whether it's the bible whether it's the torah whether it's the quran should these books these relics be taken literally or metaphorically
0: not only should they be taken mer- metaphorically they were never ever ever intended to be read literally do you think the authors the the author of luke who says that uh you know in the year uh you know but I guess it 's six six or six a d um there is a census in Rome, and the census requires everyone in the entire Roman Empire to stop what they are doing and travel to their father 's homeland so that they could be properly counted um for a for the um uh taxation purposes and so joseph uh who lived in nazareth had to travel to bethlehem in order to be counted cuz his parents uh family was from bethlehem okay there is no census of the entire <laughs> roman empire in 6 ad there's a small census in syria but where jesus lived did not encompass that census. Census law under the Roman Empire is as clear as it gets. You get counted where you live. The purpose of of a census is taxation. So we're here to count your stuff. How many people are you and where's your stuff? The idea that every once in a while, everyone in the largest, greatest, richest empire the world had ever known would have to stop what they were doing and travel for months at a time to wherever their forefathers were born, in order and also bring their stuff, I guess, uh, in order to be counted there is patently absurd and unhistorical. Now, here's the important thing to understand about what I just said: not only does it screw up the entire Christmas story that you tell your kids every day or every every Christmas, but Luke, who wrote that, knew that that wasn't true. He was living as a citizen of the Roman Empire. His readers for generations read that and knew that that wasn't true. That's not how the census works. I've gone through many censuses, and that's not how it works. They didn't care because the idea, the notion, that what was being read was meant to be read literally would never have even occurred to them. The idea that Scripture is a thing to be read historically and literally, was born of the 19th century. It's only been about a couple of hundred years since the very notion of biblical literalism has existed, and it's existed as a result of the scientific revolution, which said that a thing can only be true if it could be demonstrably proven true, if it could be historically proven to be true. That's what true means now. That definition of true did not exist in the ancient mind, right? True had nothing to do with facts. True had a much deeper meaning. The truth of the the nativity story is that Jesus was born in the city of Bethlehem because that's the city of David and Jesus is the new David and he is going to recreate the kingdom of David. And so, therefore, he has to be born in Bethlehem. When everyone knew he was born in Nazareth, his name was the Nazarene. <laughs> That's what his name was. So, you know, it's it's only we in the modern world that have created this kind of fake uh, and totally unnecessary filter through which we force all of our scriptures—the Quran, the, the 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 Torah, the. The gospels, all of our scriptures, to uh, succumb to our particular definition of what is true without realizing that that definition of true is barely 200 years old.
3: Hmm. And are you saying that the same rules apply to the Torah and also the Quran?
0: All gospels. So
3: it's all metaphorical.
0: What we call, go- gospels are what we refer to as sacred history, and we use that term sacred history specifically to differentiate it from actual history. And by the way, that is not to denigrate sacred history. It's to understand it for what it actually is, right? There's a message that is being given to us over thousands of years, and that message is important. But you have to filter out the modern conceptions of how we understand you know, facts and truths in order to actually get to the heart of what that message is.
3: Last question on this. Um, would most religious scholars tend to believe with uh, what you're saying? or Because I'm sure there's a large sect of religious scholars and people of faith, whether it's Muslim, Jewish, uh, Christian, of every sect, that'll say, sorry, Reza, this is the literal word of God, and thank you for your opinion, but I'm sticking to the, exactly what the Bible says. So there's people of faith— And then there's religious scholars. How how do those two come to terms with what you're saying?
0: Well, among religious scholars, what I just said is the most basic element, like fact number one. The thing you learn on day one, right? Nothing else that you do can happen until you understand that basic fact.
3: That it's metaphorical.
0: Well, well, that it's sacred history, right? So you can use figurative language, metaphorical language. You can extract history from sacred history, there are ways that we can do that. Like We can look at the Gospels and say, these are the things that are most likely to be traced to the actual historical Jesus, and these are the things not. And there are centuries of methodologies that we can use to rely on to get a very accurate picture of the difference between the two. People of faith, no, no, people of faith do not think in those terms, right? For people of faith, the scripture is God-breathed. It's divinely inspired. And if it comes from God, then it must be perfect in all ways. And so what does historical context have to do with it, right? Jesus is literally God speaking to all humanity. So who cares where he lived, who he was actually speaking to, what the political and economic situation of the world in which he lived and how it shaped him, what does that matter? He has no context. God has no context, right? Okay, so he just, for three decades, he lived in first-century Palestine. Irrelevant. Irrelevant. He's not talking to his fellow Jews. He's talking to you and me. So context has to be stripped from scripture for it to matter tom, and scholars
2: <clears throat> say the opposite so so i i have a direction i want to go but i don't want to go off this topic on, until everybody here is comfortable moving away from this topic it's within this topic but i want to go to a different place do you have something to say tom
1: yeah i think th- there's, there's a couple things here and um i think you're taking a very uh, academia has done a very good job i think of um I don't know if it's a good job. It's been very effective <laughs> at, you know, driving down through the elements, the elements of history, and finding what they claim and believe. Maybe be our errors of interpretation or a yeah. misunderstanding of historical context at the time. You know, you're talking about the uh, synoptic gospels—Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You have a tax collector, Matthew. You have a, a, a an early world physician in Luke. You have a a, a student. A, a Jewish student that almost became a rabbi and John and then you have just kind of the common Jewish man Mark and so they all are slightly different and what what surprised me is is you approaching it and saying with Jesus is that there is a Jesus man and Jesus Christ mm-hmm. and this was where you went from I would have supposed a Baptist or Methodist um, uh, youth group. At least you were describing evangelical, it? You d- you d- yeah. evangelical or com- yeah. what
0: non-denominational, non denominational
1: community church, yeah. American community church right. movement Anatomy. from nineteen eighties. Right, is what you're describing. Yeah. So it's pre mega church, and it's pre secret sensitive, yes. and it's the pre you know self-identified Christian adopting all of the you know um, you know world influences into their into their their now diluted biblical worldview. Okay. So you commented that you know Jesus had no concerns of this world and things about equality. I think he was. I think it was very consistent, even in um, Roman historical writings, that his message was: you're equal in that you all have one. You you owe this earth one death, and you have a soul, and at that. That was sort of the table stakes for everybody. Yet there was inequality in classes and cultures and how people were treated and discriminated against and things like that. But I think Jesus was very clear that he started there. He says, hey, you have one soul, you have this earth one death. And then to say there's no concerns of this world, you know, he was, I think, very, very clear. He said, listen, you know, religion of God, our Father— finds faultless and true is this, take care of widows and orphans in their distress. So there is not a socialist, but there is a charity there. So I'm kind of curious as to where you go from a non-denominational upbringing through the lens of uh, the three universities that have decidedly different Catholic approaches which we're talking about Boston College, Notre Dame, and Santa Clara. They're very different. You have the literalists and you have the Jesuits, correct? Mm-hmm. And that was your college experience. But I think somewhere between the two, it, it kind of feels to me that um, I'm, I'm just trying to figure out how you bridge from that, to the college perspective, and the college perspective was the Catholic Church, which was an inversion, the first century Catholic Church, people thought Peter was the first pope, not correct historically, Mm -hmm. you're nodding yes, um, found to be, and then that created a government church, Mm -hmm. and so the Catholic Church was nothing more than some Christian tenets applied to, to basically Rome, built in the middle of Rome, how odd, and then enabling the monarchies of the... 14th 15th 16th centuries to do a bunch of things. And so I I I just I just think you've got several islands here you kind of go to and I was just trying to find the thread that led you to say okay. You know what? I am no longer a Christian by OK, flawed man needs a path to heaven. That path is the perfect Christ that gave a sacrifice for me. I was trying to figure out in your description what that stepping off point. Well, um,
0: first, I should mention that I, I went to Santa Clara and then I went to Harvard and Santa Barbara not the not uh, Notre Dame or.
1: No, no, no. But I'm, but, I'm but you're well, saying the other. Yeah, the other. I'm well aware mm-hmm. of the threat of of. The thread of teaching yeah. that goes from Jesuit, Boston College, Notre Dame, and Santa Clara, right. Right. and they're very different interpretations and very different delusions that happens in acad- academia. And you were a student at Santa Clara, yeah. so that's that's here's, what you have the, been hosed off with. No, absolutely. Here's I think the sort of the <coughs> most
0: basic way of answering a very complex question. The sort of foundational view about Jesus amongst the most mainstream Christianity is that he was fully man and fully God, right? That's the, that's the great mystery of the incarnation, that he was 100% man and he was 100% God. The problem with Christianity, especially the way that it was introduced to me, is that it ignored the man part, or, when it did focus on the man part, it was simply to buttress the God part, right? That's, that's the only reason that you talked about Jesus being thirsty or Jesus being uh, tortured. What was the word you just used? I never heard that before. It, it, it buttressed his his divine—like, it was there just to support his, div- his divinity, right? He was a man—we can talk about him as a man, but only insofar— as talking about him as a man makes the fact that he's God that much more extraordinary, right? Like, look at the things that he did when, in fact, he was God, you guys. Mm. What I wanted to do was say, okay, fully man, fully God. Let's remove the God part from the equation for a minute, and let's actually deal with the consequences of what it means to say he was fully man. Because if he's fully man, he lived in a very specific time and place. He was, like all human beings, a product of that time and place. It shaped who he was. It shaped how he spoke. When he spoke, he wasn't speaking into the ether. He was speaking to someone in front of him. He had an audience in front of him. So who was that audience? And what was that audience like? And what was that audience expecting? When he used certain words to speak with them, had other people used those words? What did those words actually mean? When Jesus said, the kingdom of God is on earth, or the kingdom of God is in you, or the kingdom of God is coming, his audience had heard the phrase kingdom of God a million times. So, as a scholar, You can't say with any confidence what Jesus meant by the kingdom of God unless you know what his audience meant by the phrase kingdom of God. And what his audience meant, what his audience heard, what Jesus meant when he said those words was a new world order. Because right now the king is Caesar, If I'm to reestablish the kingdom of God, which is the sole function of the Messiah in the Hebrew Bible, you have one job if you're a Messiah, and that's to recreate the kingdom of David, the kingdom of God. Well, you can't recreate the kingdom of David when sitting on top of it is the kingdom of Rome. So without question, every Jew, Every poor, impoverished, village Jew, because that's all he ever spoke to, who heard the phrase, kingdom of God, heard liberation from Rome. Every single one of them. So when we as scholars look at Jesus preaching about the kingdom of God, we understand that what he is preaching is liberation from Rome. When we as religious people 2,000 years removed from all the history and context and as people who stop even thinking about Jesus as a human being, a product of his time and place, someone you know privy to context, but as an ethereal, eternal, everlasting, ghostly, celestial being with no context whatsoever who isn't talking to impoverished Jews, he's talking to you and me. Kingdom of God means something completely different. It has nothing to do with the liberation of Rome. And so we strip Jesus' words of all of its complexity, its politics, its historical context. We spiritualize it. And in spiritualizing it, it does something very, very useful, to Patrick's point. It does something very, very useful, which is that it now becomes the foundation of empire. But Jesus isn't talking about... The This world? He's talking about the next world. So you can do whatever the fuck you want to in this world, (laughs) right? Uh, You know, the, the, the first will be last, the last will be first. Well, that's in heaven, not on this earth. I don't have to worry about that. I don't have to worry about any of the implications of this radical teaching that resulted in him being hunted down like a rebel, arrested by the state, and executed for treason, <laughs> you know? Like, let's let's just acknowledge that for a moment, right? I mean, you don't get executed for treason because you're like, be like the birds of the, of the sky. Don't worry about the things of this world. That's not how you get executed for treason.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: I can fully appreciate, by I, the way, what you're
3: saying, distinguishing between the man and God. And I know Tom is a man of deep faith, and I'm sure he wants to ask you a question. I just... One specific question that you brought up, you said he was only talking to Jews. And I just want you to just hone in on that for a second. Uh, Two-part question, was it only Jews around him, straight up? And then number two, in your expert opinion, did Jesus
0: mean to start a new religion? The most important thing, the most important fact to understand about Jesus when trying to figure out who he was and what he was talking about is that he was a Jew preaching Judaism to other Jews. This was not a new religion. There was nothing new about what he was preaching. It was Judaism. Mm-hmm. And he was preaching it in Jewish terms. He was preaching it in Aramaic. Was he speaking Hebrew? Aramaic? What was he speaking? Hebrew was was an educated uh, language. Okay. So he, he may have he, he may have understood Hebrew when it was spoken. Like when if someone read the the Hebrew scriptures, he could have he probably could have under understood it, but he wouldn't communicate in Hebrew. He would communicate in Aramaic, which is the language of the poor. Um, and he was speaking to other poor Jews. He was a poor Jew preaching Judaism to other poor Jews. Once you understand that, that and that's not disputed, right? That's that's sort of a very basic understanding of, of the Gospels. Once you understand that, then it opens a, a door to understanding what it is that he's actually saying. Right. How would these poor Jews understand these words? He's not talking to you. He's not talking to me. Right. He's not. He's not preaching Christianity. He's It wasn't
3: invented yet. It, it wasn't invented.
0: He's was a Jew preaching Judaism to and other. What Jews. was so radical
3: about what he was preaching? To Jews, because you've used that word, he was a radical. He was, you know, he was, he had all these crazy ideas. But if he was preaching Judaism to other Jews, what
0: was so radical about that? Well, Judaism, like all religions, comes in a hundred different flavors, right. right? We've already talked about it with Catholicism. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Judaism of first-century Palestine had a bunch of different flavors. There was the Temple Judaism, the Judaism that was controlled by the Jewish authorities. That was involved. That involved. Very uh, restrictive, extraordinarily expensive temple uh, rituals that all Jews were forced uh, to do at least once a year, if not more. And that was a business. It was a it was a business decision governed by the Pharisees. Governed, governed by the Pharisees, yeah, mm-hmm. and the Sadducees, and they and they controlled the temple. And since the temple was the source of salvation, they controlled salvation, right? Mm-hmm. If you, they could tell you that you were a Jew or not a Jew, right? Because they controlled the thing where God literally dwelled. Then there was this sort of Pharisaic Judaism, which eventually becomes what we know as Rabbinic Judaism, right? The the, the, the Judaism of the law, right? The scholars, the thinkers, the debaters. And that, like, as you can imagine, ran the gamut, right? Very conservative, views, much more sort of innovative interpretations of the Torah and the law. And then there were thousands upon thousands of charismatic street preachers like Jesus, many of whom called themselves Messiah. Many, many oh, really? of whom. Oh, yes, 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 yes. We know, I say in, in Zealot, we know the names of at least 12. If we know the names of at least 12 then there were 1,200.
3: Um, of people who said that they were the Messiah at the time?
0: People who said they were the Messiah, who led messianic movements, who had far, far
2: more followers than Jesus ever did, um, and all of whom so, were killed so as a result. here's what I want to do. Tom, do you have any questions back or rebuttals back? Because I want to go a different direction right now. Yeah, maybe maybe it's time we just go a different direction. Okay, so here's what I want to say to you. So question for you. Do you believe... Um, uh, uh, the story of virgin birth, Mary. What are your thoughts? Like, do you believe in the credibility of that story?
0: Do I believe it's a fact
2: or do yes. I believe it's truth? Do Do you believe? Well, what's the difference? Oh, that's the key. Okay. So is what's a the difference? fact?
0: A fact is a thing can't that, be debated, that, right? A fact is a thing that can be scientifically verified. Okay. Right. That's that's what we now understand. A truth. It doesn't necessarily have to do with fact. Truth is a far deeper. Well, both ways. What idea? do you think about it? No, there's there's no fact whatsoever about the virgin birth. It exists in one section of the entire uh, uh, gospels. Okay. Um, no one else mentions it. Uh, Matthew doesn't mention it. It's just, just in Luke. Uh, that means ninety A.D. So sixty years after Jesus's death. We can go back to the writings that we find you know a little bit earlier there's some writings of Paul in in 50s virgin birth is never mentioned in those in those writings this was the virgin birth was a problem that arose out of Paul because Paul who never met Jesus never spoke to Jesus had nothing to do with Jesus whatsoever but who claims to have had this uh, experience of the risen Jesus long after Um, uh, Jesus died, uh, in which, uh, according to him, Jesus makes him the sort of the 13th apostle, right? An apostle was somebody who walked and talked with Jesus, and there were 12 of them. And Paul, who neither walked nor talked with Jesus, says that that the risen Christ turned him into the 13th apostle and gave him this new message. And Paul goes around and he starts preaching this version of, of Jesus that the apostles ha- had never heard of before. Jesus wasn't even a man, in Paul's view. Jesus was born of pure light. He is a new genus of being. He came to earth as this sort of begotten, the the only begotten son of God, um, in order to uh to deal with original sin. Again, Jesus never mentioned anything about original sin. It's not in any of the Gospels. In Paul's m- imagination, when Adam and Eve fell, all human beings were born in sin, and Jesus' death uh, cl- cleared that sin for everyone for all of time. This is Paul. Has No one except Paul had ever said or thought anything like this. It was the first time these words were ever written. It's now basic Christianity. But here's the problem. If everyone who is born is born of sin, until Jesus is born, and rids everyone of sin, then Jesus can't be born. Paul himself never said Jesus can't be born. He just let the contradiction live. But then later on, (laughs) by the time you get to the 90s, in answer to to criticism, an answer to critics saying, "Wait a minute, what are you talking about? Like, then doesn't make any sense. He himself was born then he had sin, was this new idea that no, no no, Jesus wasn't born in the in the same way. He was born of a virgin. It's mentioned once. It's mentioned in the year ninety. And there's no reason to think that it's anything other than what it sounds like, an answer to a problem.
2: So, so, in other words, for you, your interpretation is that that's just a fictional story that's being told about... It's, it's sacred history. The but the same can be said about Quran. The same thing can be said about all the books. That's right. And that's what you're saying. So, in, in other words, all the books, just to be fair... If, if from your point, and you see yourself as an atheist, or you're a Muslim. Oh
0: no, no, I'm I'm a I'm
2: a Muslim. I'm a person of faith. So a person of faith, yeah. you, so you believe in Prophet Muhammad. You believe in his book. You believe in Quran. I don't believe in
0: Quran. Again, that's the wrong way of putting it. These are not things to believe in. They are signposts to the thing to believe in. Scripture as sacred history is the attempt by individuals who have confronted an extraordinary, extraordinary experience and who have, using the limited means at their disposal, attempted to record that uh, extraordinary experience, often in poetic and symbolic language, deep, meaningful, mystical language, uh, so that they can preserve it for generations to understand what we felt, so you're also man felt. of
2: faith. So you're also a man of yeah, faith. Okay. Yeah. So to you, your the risk you're taking is, I'm risking believing the Quran, not the Bible. That's your risk, right? I mean, faith is believing in something you have not yet seen. There's a lot of criticism on the book of Quran. There's a lot of criticism on the Muslim religion. A lot of criticism on the religion you represent. Your risk is, I think, afterlife is. My bet is I'm going to take the route of uh, uh, no. being a Muslim versus my I route see is. Where I see where you're coming. Yeah, I'm sorry. When you study the
0: religions of the world, it becomes impossible to take any one of these religions all that seriously. And there's two reasons for it. One, because you instantly recognize the religious patterns, the sort of a phenomena that they all have in common with each other, that they're all. Saying basically the same thing. And more importantly, they're saying it kind of in the same way, right? A lot of the same myths are just kind of repurposed. The myth of Jesus' resurrection is just the myth of Mithra's resurrection, right? The Sraushant in, uh, in um, Zoroastrianism is a salvific character uh, whose mother magically gets impregnated and gives birth to a messianic figure who brings in the end of the world. that's a thousand years before Jesus, right? I mean, these are just the same stories over and over and over again. However, they are interlinked in the sense that they are trying to express something that as a person of faith, I believe, is real, and that is... That there is something beyond the material realm. There is a real transcendent reality beyond the physical world that we are locked in. But it's faith. It's faith. So it's a
2: risk. It's absolutely a risk. Okay, so the risk, so there's a part of me that's sitting here listening to you for the first hour. You sound more atheist than you sound Muslim, okay? You sound more atheist. You definitely don't sound Christian, obviously. You're given the arguments of atheists. It's like I'm listening to uh, uh, Chris Hitchens debate his brother, uh, uh, or I'm listening to an atheist give their argument. That's the part. So that kind of comes back to saying, well, why do you choose to be a Muslim? Why do you choose Mm -hmm. to follow the Quran if you're such a scholar and you're educated and you got these four degrees – Shouldn't an educated man like yourself, who's dealing a lot on facts, not risk believing any religion and rather just be an atheist? You are.
1: You and are- a minute ago you just said that when you look at any of the world religions, that there's there's flaws, and there's issues, and they and there's lunacies, and then there's repeated myths. So how did you choose one rather than just being very a good. scholar yeah, that's of the a very fake? very good
0: question, yeah. Say,
1: hey, I'm the scholar of the fake. Here's all my books. I'm going to delve into certain characters, Baskerville and others like this. But you know what? No, I'm going to stop and I'm going to choose one. How do you get there? So, yeah, this is a
0: great question. First of all, Let's try to rid our minds of these categories like atheist, Muslim. Well, if you're, you're clearly not a Christian because you question certain aspects of the Bible, bullshit. There are hundreds of millions of Christians who would agree with everything that I just said and would, I mean, priests, the priests who taught me these things, right? They're not just Christians. They've given their life they're dedicated their entire life well, to be fair a lot of the things ministry. are weird.
2: Pope is saying certain <laughs> things right now that the Catholic Church wouldn't have agreed with 20 years ago. But and the, Catholics unfortunately have to be ha, are forced to agree with them. Not forced. Just cuz no, well, because he's not going to excommunicate you're, you're, them. when I say forced, if you want to be part of the church and the pope says it, "Oh my god, I'm either going to have to leave my rituals that I've been living for the last 48 years and go be a non-denomination or go be something else or just yeah. say defend the pope."
0: Just to be clear. Yeah.
2: That's only if the pope uh,
0: threatens uh, discommunication. If the pope says, this is now belief, and if you don't believe it, then you are excommunicated, then yes, you're forced to believe it. But
2: the pope doesn't do any of that stuff, and the pope is Christian. And so if he not, is— Not, of, not, of, not a, a different kind of a Christian today than 20 or 30 there years is, ago. Okay, there is no such thing as Christianity. Let's start there. There is
0: no such thing as Islam. There is no such thing as Judaism. There is no such thing as Buddhism. There is only Christianities, Buddhisms, Islams. Christianity is whatever a Christian says it is. Buddhism is whatever a Buddhist says it is. There is no mechanism for me to say, you call yourself a Buddhist, Okay, but you don't believe this part interpretation so therefore you're of the not, person is yeah, what you're saying. You're not really a Buddhist. So let's let's start there. That's the important thing. The second thing that I think is really important to understand is that religion, all religions are far less a matter of beliefs and practices than they are a matter of identity. And that's true of every religion in the world and every part of the world. 70% of Americans call themselves Christian. Bullshit! Bullshit! 70% of Americans follow the teachings of Christ. 70% of Americans go to church on, you know, Sundays. 70% of Americans read the Bible on a consistent basis. The vast majority of that 70%, when they say, I am Christian, they are not making a faith statement. They're making an identity statement. And that is true of Buddhists and Jews and Muslims that... What we, people on the outside tend to do is think that religion is just about the things that you believe. And if you don't believe what the mainstream believes, then you're not really that thing anymore. I,
2: I don't disagree with that. I, I'm with you there on the identity part. Yeah. When seventy percent, so, actually fully you know, agree right, with but that.
1: To the question, well, wait a minute. There, there's some fundamentals here, right? And when, if a, if a person says I'm a Muslim or a person says I'm a Christian, you, you dive into it a little bit and you're more often than not, you're going to find some worldview creep in where they've made their own designation. When you take a look at the 70% of people in America that say they're a Christian, there's only about 15% of those that have what you would call a biblical worldview. And these are not the Amish in the middle of Pennsylvania adopting nothing of modern technology. These are people that have an authentic biblical worldview. And at the same thing, there's People that say, well, I'm Jewish. Well, now, wait a minute. Are you a Zionist as a political state Jew, or are you authentic? So I think identity is like you're correct about it, but we need to kind of wash that a little bit. Because I can say, I'm a Southerner. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Listen, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm a Bostonian. What is a Bostonian? I'm sorry. I'm a New Englander. We have all these labels. I'm a, I'm. Do you know what? We just kind of take it as it is. I'm a Midwesterner. Right? You have all labels that happen all over the place, and you can't take a broad brush and just sweep everything out, Reza, because you're correct about the 70%. You are correct about the 70%. But within that, there are people that do have a biblical worldview, whether they be Jews, whether they be Muslims, whether they be Christians. There so are, those are they the do. real
0: Christians because they have the biblical worldview and, and no. the other 45%
1: aren't? I think— well, you know what? A cleric would tell you that it is my job, and I'll speak to your faith. That it is my job to ensure that I teach and I help people to calibrate what is the authenticity of their Muslim faith right. and the principles and tenets and of Islam. And who gave him
0: that job? Hmm? And who gave him that job? He went to school and he learned a bunch of things, and now well, he that's also his has job.
1: he also has the scripture that they have, and he can either choose.
0: I had that same scripture.
1: That's exactly right. You can be north of London, and you can be a radicalized right. cleric. that what, what I don't want to the
2: tube. What I don't want to do is the following. Here's what I don't want to do. And by the way, I, there's there's angles I can take with Virgin Mary and the Quran and what uh, you know the Quran says about Virgin Mary and what Mus- many Muslims think about Virgin Mary and we can go that angle. But the part I was going to go with you on the Virgin Mary side that even in the Quran they talk about is. The chances of somebody being born, because you know a lot of people made that claim back in the days, because it's embarrassing. Oh my God, you know you're having sex, you know prior to Mm -hmm. this, prior to getting married, and then for the chances of that son ending up being Jesus, that's a one in a trillion type of a number. That's just a very random math. I'm a math guy, very random mathematical number to come up with that. So the faith part with that is. It's tough to kind of fight against that part, but let me, let me come back because the question was still not answered.
0: Yeah. um, Let me, let me come back to the
2: question. So if your arguments, I'm listening to you, you very critical of the Christian church in a very non-critical way. The way you're doing it is a, a, a way a scholar would do it, uh, where, uh, the, the average person listens to that and they say, Oh my God, what do I say to this part here? But I'll flip it and I'll say, dude, you sound like an atheist. And I can respect that. If you're an atheist, you're an atheist. If you're going to say, look, my risk I'm taking in life, I'm taking a risk that Quran's the book. I'm not taking a risk that I'm going to be a Christian. I'm taking a risk that I'm going to be a Muslim. No problem. Let's get past this part. I'm going to go to the next part on question. If you want to answer the atheist part, you you will answer it as well here in a minute. But here's what I want you to be thinking about. Um, How do you judge a great parent? How do you judge a great parent? By their actions. By their actions.
0: Yeah, by how they raise their, the things that they do. That's how I judge every person,
2: Okay, the things that you do. Is it fair for me to judge you based on, like, if I see you, my imagination, I've never met your mom, I've never met your dad, this is our first interaction to get us to the audience know we've never had dinner together, I don't know your story except for what I've read, mm-hmm. right? I see a part of you that's your dad and I see a part of you that's your mom. Yeah. I see the rebel in your yeah, dad, okay, where he's a rebellious guy and he's... I see the atheist arguments of your dad when I'm listening to you. Okay. But then I see also your loyalty for your mom's side and then your own independence. Where I'm going to go take my ride and here's what I come up with. Listen, mom, dad. Salute to you on this side, pop. Salute to you, mom, on this side. My dad never fails to remind me that Khomeini was a big mistake. Da-da-da-da-da. He called it, right? You talk about that regularly. But if we're going to judge a product based on its parents, product, parents, parents. Good job, you raise a good citizen. He's done well for himself, right? I think it's also fair to judge a religion based on what it produces, okay? Based on what it produces. So let's let's go away from, uh, uh, I've sat and debated with guys who know every single scripture in the Bible, but nobody follows them. They're very small. And I've sat and talked to people that are generalists who have a lot of people that follow them because of their messaging. This is not a debate of, we would need two days to go through. Scripture said this. Mm -hmm. What's your rebuttal to this? And what about this? And what about that? We'll be here for days. Two hours is not enough. Yeah. But if we were to judge a religion based on what it produces, if you had the choice to choose a country, and you can't say none. You have to choose one. If you were to say, you know, a, a country's, we're starting a country together, what religion would we want to start it with? What religion would best be a good religion to be... That's a fun question. ...the one to start a country with?
0: Mm -hmm. That's a really fun question. I'm curious.
2: Okay. So
0: let me answer the first part. Please. I feel like I I, I left you hanging because you ask a professor a question. He has like 40 minutes of prelude to it. But to just get to it, I am not an atheist because I think atheism is an intellectually vacuous position. I, I think it's unsophisticated. I don't think it's smart. An atheist... A true atheist, right, someone who is truly an atheist, is a materialist. A materialist believes that literally nothing exists, that nothing can exist beyond my empirical experience of that thing. That, to me, is the height of hubris and absurdity, right? The idea that, All that exists is the material realm and nothing beyond It's just, I would say, even scientifically absurd. Now, what is that other thing? Who knows? Okay? Let's just give it a word. Because that's all the word God is. It's just a word. It's not a thing. It's a word. And like all words, it has a thousand connotations. It represents a bunch of things. But... In its simplest form, let's just say what we mean when we say God is that which is beyond, that which is beyond the material realm, the thing. The question then becomes, can I access that thing? Do I have the ability to commune with it, to communicate with it, to experience it in some way? And that's a personal thing. I've accessed it. I've communicated with it. I've experienced it people who do yoga, people who climb mountains, people who surf, and yes, people who are Christians or Jews or Muslims or Buddhists or whatever, can tell you a very similar story. Yeah, I'm not going to prove this intellectually. All I can tell you is that there is something beyond, and I have touched it. I have felt it. So then the next question is, do I want to know it? was it enough that i climbed that mountain and was like wow <sighs> and then i went back home or do i want to know it now well if you want to know it it so happens that there are a, you know thousands of years worth of systems languages that's what really religion is all about it's just languages languages are made up of symbols of, and metaphors that help you experience, communicate that experience, make sense of that experience, and you can pick any language you want. It is irrelevant what language you choose. Just different symbols. It's like saying, what's better, French or German? What are you talking about? They're both expressing the exact same thing. Just pick one. The Buddha very famously said, if you want to strike water, you don't dig six one-foot wells. You dig one six-foot well, Islam is my six-foot well. But the important thing that's hidden in in the Buddha's words there is that the well is irrelevant. The well is nothing more than the means to get to the water. And guess what? The water that you're drinking from is the water that every well is drinking from. So pick a well. Pick a well that works for you. In my case, for a whole host of reasons, my culture, my background, my identity, my comfort, Islam is my six-foot well. And particularly Sufi Islam is my six-foot well. It's the language that I use to make sense of a thing that is inexpressible. It's It's a language I use to talk about a thing that's impossible to talk about. And it's a language that other people understand so I can communicate with them They get it. We can talk about that experience. But to say that I believe in the well is stupid. People who say, I believe in Christianity, I believe in Islam, I believe in the Quran, I believe in the Torah, are doing it wrong. Those are not things to believe in. They're your well. They're the thing that points you to the thing to believe in. And so... As someone who wants a deep and meaningful spiritual life, uh, who has experienced transcendence and wants to experience it more and understand it more, I've chosen this particular well.
2: Which okay. is your risk. We've taken mm-hmm. risk. Everybody's taking the, yeah. the atheist takes a risk. Yeah. The Christian takes a risk. Now, to your now go to your question. Okay. Yeah. So, so let me preface this the question so the audience sees this as a clip. Is if really, really we good. could start a new country... Yeah which religion would be the best religion to start the country on?
0: Which religion would be the best religion to start a new country? Um, This is a really, really good question. Because on the one hand, no religion has a monopoly on democracy. The idea that democracy fits better with like Christianity than it does with Islam is demonstrably false. Um, But the the one big advantage of christianity is that it has fully and completely married itself to capitalism and so if you were going to start a country that re- that required economic success capitalism is the right way to do it so i would say yeah probably some kind of protestant some kind of protestant version of christianity would be a great start But I will say one thing. Democracy, true liberal democracy, isn't dependent on secularism. Secularism does not a democracy make. Pluralism is what makes democracy. The whole point of a democracy is that individuals get to vote on things based on their own personal ideas and beliefs. And whether you like it or not, for the vast majority of humans on Earth, Their personal beliefs and identities are enwrapped around religious identity. So to say that religion should not have a role to play in democracy means that there's no democracy. That's what that means. The question is, can you have the proper safeguards in place to make sure that people who do not adhere to that majority religion or or to religion at all— are equally protected from having their rights infringed upon by the religion of the majority that's what the united states was supposed to be with the the you know anti-establishment clause uh but you know we are 350 million people of which 150 million of us are right-wing evangelical christians who believe that the country is a christian nation and should be based on Christian principles and laws, and that non-Christians would have a a, a, a sort of secondary role, you know, as second-class citizens in that kind of country, well, that's legit. That's like half the country. That's a serious threat. So all religion can threaten democratic institutions, but if I were to start all over again and it had to be founded on a religious tradition... I think I'd probably pick Protestant Christianity.
2: So so in other words, you're a capitalist (laughs) Protestant... Who chooses to argue socialist Muslim? <laughs> what yeah. a strange yeah, yeah. life. That's about. It. That's about right. <laughs> so listen, man, The way the way I want everything to be is a Protestant capitalist because this is an it makes me wrapped
1: in a contradiction. But but do you,
2: do you know? First of all, I appreciate you for being honest because you know you could have taken that and and uh, manipulated it and taken many different angles to kind of make the argument better for you. But you took the argument and just straight up said what you would what would make you feel. Safer. Why didn't you say Muslim? Why? Why not start a country, and it being based on Islam, Muslim being the original foundations of the country.
0: Again, so islam's right. Uh, there are multiple, multiple. And a points,
2: socialist. Why? Why not create a country based on, you know, like the Judeo-Christian? No, we're gonna be Muslim. We're gonna follow Prophet Muhammad. We're gonna follow. Yeah. We're gonna. Have a socialist nation. Why don't you start a nation yeah, based on? I that?
0: would also excise the phrase Judeo-Christian from your language right away. That's a bullshit phrase invented by white Protestants. It upsets in or, you in order to in order to 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 bring Jews into the fold. No Jew uses the term Judeo-Christian, um, and and the the. the <laughs> The contradiction between those terms is hilarious. The, the whole point of Christianity is that there's no more need for Judaism because one Jew said so. Um, so it, it's just Judeo-Christian is just this bizarre fake term to basically mean white. That's what it means. It means white. Um, stop using it. Um <laughs> Uh, you just triggered my friend over here.
2: Well, wait, what was the question? I'm sorry. <laughs> so, so yeah, you, I got, know how, I you know how got You know how America like, is built on a Judeo-Christian. <laughs> okay, why not start your country where you? America say, is built on Protestantism. Okay. Let's be very very. Quran, clear. Prophet Muhammad, Actually, and socialism.
1: <laughs> Tell me, no. When you go, when you go back and take a look, um, basically the founding fathers were deists more than anything else. Deism is a form of Protestantism. Um, Deism is Protestantism. That's what it is. I, I think if you want it to be, it can be. If it helps your argument, it can be. But I, when you hear people saying, well, you know, go take a look at the things that are at the Lincoln Memorial and the Jefferson Memorial, and I've heard that over and over and over again in various speakers um, who are Christian pastors, there are no scriptures carved in those things. There, there are none. And as a matter of fact, it was Thomas Jefferson who built, and as a scholar, you probably know this, you know, the Virginia the Virginia religious clause where he listed everybody and he used the word infidels because he thought that all people should be protected in America yeah. to have the freedom yeah, yeah. freedom of of expression but this was a these were deists that applied certain things. And if you look at Jefferson, goes back to France before he gets his writings. Hamilton came from frickin' St. Croix, right? But all of these come together, with deism that may have been influenced by Christianity. But first and foremost, they they were deists, not Protestant pastors. Right.
0: No, they're not pastors. They're not religious scholars.
1: Nor but, were they, nor but, are they Protestant scholars,
0: by but, the way. De- they weren't Protestant scholars. They weren't scholars at all. But what what this argument that you hear all the time, that you know the Founding Fathers were deists, is A, absolutely correct, and deism is a movement that arises out of Protestantism. The primary purpose of Protestantism is to say that we don't need an institution to interpret the Scripture for us. We can interpret it on our own. That means we value the Scripture. We don't, we don't think the Scripture is is false or unnecessary it's just that i don't need an intermediary between me and the scripture to tell you what it means hence thomas jefferson pulled out his scissors and said i don't like this verse and he just cut it out i don't like this section and he cut it out deism isn't some brand new religion invented by the founding fathers It is a natural progression from Protestantism and it's thousands of thousands of sects from Quakers to Shakers to Methodists to Baptists. Deists were just one of the many, many, many Uh, uh, interpretations that arose out of Protestants. We
1: can move on and disagree because deism has its roots in basically all men seek, that when you find Native Americans that they encountered when they, Iroquois, when they first came here, they said, isn't it interesting that the Iroquois seem to seek this creator, this god, and sometimes it's Ra, the sun god of the Egyptians, sometimes it's other things. Deism, I I thought, had its roots in all men seek, not in its and recognizing men, meaning all civilizations, all living humans, ultimately are, are seeking. Isn't it interesting when we encounter them that they have their way of seeking this this thing, this creator, whatever they want to call it? We can it.
2: move on, Tom. Yeah. We can move on, Tom. So going back to it. So if—, if if America is a Judeo-Christian nation, okay, I'm going to keep saying that to you <laughs> because okay, Ahai Netanyahu says the same thing. But okay, you oh, oh good, okay, let's you let's quote uh, he's, a religious fascist. He's, he's, That's uh, a great idea. So for you, why not start a country based on the Quran, following Prophet Muhammad, and socialism?
0: Well, I think the, uh, the I, like I said, it was the the issue of capitalism that I think is the big is the big. So you're a
2: capitalist. Here. I mean, we're all capitalists, man. Look at you. You're a capitalist. We're all capitalists. I'm, I'm a proud capitalist. I don't know if you're a proud capitalist. I will. I will go. I'm a I'm, go
0: a. I'm a moral capitalist. I do not believe in the invisible hand of the free market. If that's what you're
2: asking. So you're. So I don't.
0: I don't worship the invisible hand. I don't of the free know market. the difference like a between God.
2: a capitalist and a moral capitalist. You're talking criminals. Uh, <laughs> that's what you're talking about. I mean, I'm with you. It's like say, saying I believe when when people say I, I don't believe in. Uh, 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 what do you call pedophilia within the churches? Well, you think I believe in that? <laughs> like so? So of course I support moral capitalism. No, but I. Bet, so you're a capitalist. No, That's but good I, bet, to see. I bet.
0: I bet. that you have a almost religious like faith in the power of the free market to set its own uh, agendas and regulations and limitations, and that if you just leave it alone, it will take care of. I, I, it'll take care. I of used things.
2: to until I studied China. Okay. Okay, okay. I used to That's until it. I studied China yeah, because when yeah. I studied China and I realized in the eighties they only had four law schools and it was a doggy dog type of an environment, you start realizing you need law and order and some regulation. It's the overregulation I have a challenge with where the bigger companies Use lobbyists and politicians that are broke to buy them to create laws sure. to make yeah, it tougher yeah. for the smaller guy to compete with them. That's the problem. I would just call capitalist. That's, that's
0: what I would say. Um, so you're a capitalist. Look, look, so that's you know, good. The, 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 I will say the one thing that I've always Twitter is
2: going to trend today saying Reza <laughs> Aslan said he's a hardcore <laughs> capitalist.
0: Yeah, exactly. A moral capitalist. I'm no longer on Twitter, so I couldn't give a shit. Um, uh, the, uh, uh, why are you no longer on Twitter? I, I uh, deactivated all of my social media accounts
1: as, as, part, of my, as part of my. Oh, it's by New your Year's. choice. So you're not on. You're not in the penalty box or something.
0: No, no. I. Um, it was part of my uh, my kind of my New Year's uh, resolution to my wife. As Although of I did four it days New ago. November. No, as I actually. When? I did it early. I did it in November. I did. I went. I, I went a little bit early. As soon as, as soon as Musk was like, "I'm letting Trump back on," I was like, well, "All right, that's enough for me." So I was uh, that the trigger point. It, I mean, I was gonna do it January first, uh-huh. uh, as part of my New Year's resolution. But I was like. I'll do it November, November 19th do
3: you, do you believe that, I know we're going off topic here, but... I'm not going to get the questions answered no, we're gonna I swear that, to God, I, I got 30 <laughs> minutes left. You
2: guys keep taking things <laughs> different, <laughs> different <laughs> directions. You constantly hear... It's my fault. This is the third time by the way I'm trying it's to my get my a fault. questions answered.
3: Yeah, well, you brought it up, so... No, You went on is Twitter, I, then you went with a question. About Twitter. One more question. There's no way in the world... Do you believe that the Ayatollah of Iran should be on Twitter, but Donald Trump should not? I, I don't think the Ayatollah of Iran should be on Twitter. No. But he no. is. Yeah. And Trump was off.
0: Well, again, Trump is an insurrectionist who tried to destroy American democracy and uses his Twitter to, to uh, actively promote violence. Actively promote violence against his enemies. There's no room in on Twitter for someone like that.
3: doesn't the Ayatollah
0: the, do the, the same thing but much worse? Well, the the Ayatollah's on Twitter in charge of a fascist uh, a religious fascist regime that murders children and uses his Twitter account uh, in order to promote propaganda and lies about what he's doing well, he doesn't belong on Twitter either. yeah why would he still be on them? I actually, fuck do No, I'm no, guys. Either. I
2: think it's very important to realize, like, where he's at. He's saying neither should be on his <laughs> yeah, position. It's better to yeah, ask right. why do you not believe both should be on than why many <laughs> yeah, is on. So go back to your question. So I'm gonna stay on this question, guys. Go, cool, go ahead, because I got 30 minutes before I get on my Max Seven call. So, okay, so why not start a country oh, based right, on right, right. socialism, Muslim Book of Quran?
0: I will say the one thing. The one thing that I that I do. I'm fascinated by Islamic finance, right? This idea, uh, and Jewish finance is the same way. That the the prohibition against interest and usury, that there are ways to do that. That are, that and and there have been a number of very successful ways of doing this. Where um, the way that it works is that instead of loaning someone money to start a business, you invest in that business, and so there isn't any interest that you're owed but you are owed dividends from the the business. That's how most Islamic financing things work. And the idea there being that, hey, we're all in this together. It's not like I loaned you $100,000, your business collapsed. Too bad, where's my money? Um, But like most things, it has been absolutely infected by Western capitalism so that You can say we're not charging interest and so therefore staying Islamically compliant. But this investment comes with fees that are essentially interest and that make it very, very difficult for these small businesses to actually function. If you want to start, I mean, I took your question very, very literally. Like I'm starting a country from scratch, right? Which requires an enormous amount of economic stability and buildup. How would I do that? Well, I would need capitalism, and Islam is not exactly conducive to capitalism. Neither is Judaism, um, but Protestantism—it's—it's it's not just conducive to capitalism. It is capitalism, radical individualism. You have been in—not in all Protestantism, uh, but like in Calvinist, evangelical, you know, Presbyterian. Uh, uh, Protestantism, you've already been predestined, you've been prejudged to be successful. If you have money, it's because God likes you. That's why. If you don't have money, it's, well, you should really look at yourself and figure out why. Um, Those are, you know, immoral ways of thinking about money. But if I'm starting a country from scratch... (laughs) <laughs> right? And I want this thing to last. Yeah, I'd probably start with a, a good dose of Protestantism. How,
2: how about now that everything's established, raising your kids? You got three sons, okay? Three sons and a daughter. Yeah. yeah oh, you have a daughter. Okay. It only says three sons. You got to update it. Yeah. It's okay, like yeah,
0: yeah, pandemic baby. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Congratulations <laughs> to you. Thank you. We Thank also you. have four kids, two, two. But going back to it, it, now that you have the kids, it's different to start versus where you want to be once you have a family. Yeah. Why not raise? your family, your kids in a, in a Muslim nation rather than in a U.S.? You have a choice right now. Just like your mom and dad chose to say, let's get out of here. Let's go to a different place. I know your wife's a Christian, so you could say, well, my wife is a Christian, so it would be tough to go to a different place. But why choose to raise your kids in a Judeo-Christian <laughs> country like America? Why do that to yourself? Why put yourself out of your misery? Just go to a different place. Go to Indonesia. Why be here?
0: Well, I don't first of all I don't know if I would think about it in those terms about like, you know, raising them in a Christian country as opposed to a Muslim country, as opposed to a Jewish country. Yeah. What I do is I raise them to be multiliterate in all the languages, all the religious languages of the world. My kids understand both at a spiritual level and, and at a at an intellectual level that Religion is a language made up of symbols and metaphors are communicating very similar sentiments. What matters is the sentiment. I want you to be spiritual. I want you to know that there is more to life than just what you feel or smell or taste or see, that there is more and that you can access that thing. You can strive for transcendence and use your own means of doing it. Find out what's most comfortable for you. One of my sons, a few years ago, after a very raucous Rosh Hashanah celebration, just flat out declared himself Jewish, was like, this is this is fun. This is way more fun than anything else that I've done, I want to be Jewish now. I do Rosh Hashanah celebration? <laughs> yeah.
3: I've been to many Rosh Hashanah celebrations. I've never been like, this is the best party I've ever come, been to. Come to, to the All West the Hollywood. apples oh. and honey you could eat. Come to West I mean, Hollywood. Spin the dreidel, yeah.
1: buddy. He said, no. he said it was a raucous one. <laughs> it was so a raucous, so yeah. West Hollywood,
0: yo, West Hollywood. Um, wow. And, uh, and, you know, we... Raucous for everyone. A couple of years ago, we went to Israel as a family, and the whole time he was like, my people. I'm amongst my people. <laughs> um i have another son who has uh i bought him a um a kids version of the ramayana which just blew his mind the idea that god can be c- can exist in multiple avatars and that each avatar has a different w- thing to it like this the, uh, for strength and for wisdom and for for power like that so Hinduism, he's all about Hinduism right now. I mean, he radically believes in reincarnation, radically believes in karma. Um, I have another kid, another boy, who I'm pretty sure is the reincarnated Buddha, but that's a whole different story. <laughs> and we go to mosque, we go to church, we go to synagogue. We took our kids on an 80-day journey around the world. Literally, we circled the globe in 80 days and went to... Ancient religious places, modern religious places. Um, It's great. You know, what's very important, if you want to raise spiritual kids who aren't religious fanatics, teach them about all religions. They have the ability, in a way that adults whose minds are fixated, to differentiate between... A the external aspects of a religion and the so internal confuse
2: aspects. the hell out of them is your approach. Like,
0: On the contrary, it confuses adults. It makes perfect sense to kids. It makes perfect sense to a ten-year-old.
2: What kind of ki- what kind of the school do your kids go to? What kind of school do your kids? I mean,
0: they go to a nice private school.
2: But no, no. Like, is it a Christian? Is it no, Catholic? No, no, no. Is it a
0: non secular? So, yeah, okay, yeah. got it. The, a ten-year-old can understand intuitively that the rabbi and the imam and the priest are saying the same thing they're just using different symbols and the symbols even look kind of familiar it's we we right here yeah who can't figure that out like what do you mean like they're different religions they say different things they have different ideas they like they read different scriptures and you know they they it's like <laughs> but are they saying the same thing though because like i guess
3: my question is like Can all religions be correct, or can only one be the correct religion?
0: Remove the idea of correct and incorrect, right and wrong, when talking about religion. They are signposts. All religions are signposts. To say that Christianity is more correct than Islam is to say that French is more correct than German. What what the hell are you talking about? It's the thing that you are expressing— whether you say it in German or whether you say it in French, doesn't make it any more correct.
3: You're right? saying it's a means to an end, and the end it's is a where... a means
0: it... to an end. Okay. Religion so, is not an independent phenomenon. Religion is an amalgamation, a collection, a system of ways of thinking about the world, many of which has been constructed over thousands of years, and often very sort of under control, right, mm-hmm. by institutions. This is what it means, and it can't mean anything else.
3: Um, yeah, but I think that's the problem, is that nobody interprets it like that. Like, that's actually a great way of looking at it, whether it's like like how you use the example of I'd rather d- dig one six-foot well for to reach the water versus six one-foot wells. I can appreciate yeah.
0: that. Here's what I would say, is you yeah. think that nobody interprets it that way because people are not as conscious of it. Two-thirds of American Catholics believe uh, or or disagree with the Catholic Church when it comes to abortion and LGBTQ rights, but they call themselves Catholic. But wait a minute, abortion, LGBTQ, those are like fairly set things in the Catholic Church. It's like, you believe this if you want to be with us. Well, I want to be with you, but I don't believe those things. And there's no contradiction there. Doesn't, they don't stay up all night thinking about these things. They don't write books about it. They don't come on podcasts and talk about what that actually means for two hours. It just is. And that's true for all religious people. I think a lot of unreligious people, people outside of religion, you know, the, the Dawkins and the Harrises and the, and the, you know, uh, Hitchens believe that r- religious people are like automatons, right? They're like the old-fashioned, um, you know, uh, IBM computers, right? You remember the, the the little sheet with the dots on it and stuff? That that's, that's what Scripture is. That It's like we're an automaton, and the Scripture is the program. And the Scripture, you read the Scripture, and it goes boop, 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 and you do the thing in the Scripture. That's not how it works, man. That's not how it works. Scripture without interpretation is just words on a page. It requires an individual to encounter it for it to have any meaning at all. And by definition, the minute an individual encounters that scripture, it goes through the filter of his entire experience, his entire identity, and it comes out different on the other side. That's why two people can go to the exact same scripture and walk away with two radically different points of view in American history not 2 centuries ago both slave owners right. and abolitionists not only used the same scripture in order to justify their viewpoints they used the same exact verses right Absolutely.
2: that's what scripture you is. know you know i got to tell you so a couple things very interesting point i agree somebody can go watch a movie and have Yes, I was telling the kids, I said, hey, how is it that both of you guys have the same parents, yet you're two completely opposite people, right? They're the same thing's being taught, you're taking two different messaging. There's a part of that that's correct. I have twins, so but, yeah. <laughs> but there's a part of it as well as on how it's being taught, messaging, received, all of that. Part of it is on the person's individual personality. You know, the reason why I asked that question about, you know, country starting, all that other stuff. Sometimes we spend time debating things that is just purely opinion. Here's what I think. Here's what I believe. Here's what I think. I think, gee, that that story, there's only one time. Paul said this, Mm -hmm. and to Paul, Jesus is this. And let me tell you, Prophet Muhammad and this and marriage and slaves and blah, 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 blah. Great. Got it. You can debate that all you want as scholars, all that stuff. And then you go to what produces results, what provides the most important uh, letter for uh, a mother's uh, uh, d- interest when raising kids, the S word, which is security, safety, a country that provides that. They want to live there. Yeah. And then for somebody that's hardworking to be able to build a life that they want to build, whatever that life may be. And then for someone to say, hey, I don't want the guy to be able to bully me. You know, hey, this guy's bigger than me. I don't want him to come and take advantage of me. Can I be protected by the law so a guy cannot bully me? So we need some laws. And then, hey, the other countries that are attacking us, can we have a decent military so people just don't want to fight us? Let's not have a military to kill people. Let's have a military that prevents others from wanting to fight us. And then at the same time, allow me to have whatever religion and beliefs that I have. Leave me alone. If I'm a Muslim, leave me alone. If I'm this, leave me alone. Like some people say Khamenei should be on Twitter and Trump should be on Twitter. Your argument is a... Uh, argument of, no, I think both of them should be off of Twitter. My argument, maybe I think both of them should be on Twitter for somebody to be able to make a decision and say, I can't even believe what Trump just said. I can't believe what Khamenei just said. I can't believe what Putin just said. Now, there are some that are inciting, let's go kill, let's go do this. That's a different story. That's You're breaking the law that we're talking about. Let's go to the last topic that we have here before we wrap up. Iran. You and I are Iranian, and uh, when I tell a lot of friends that – You know, Reza's coming on. I had 50-50 split, what people say. (laughs) That's about right. Oh my God. Let me tell you, don't do it. Because I'm gonna tell you, they're gonna target you, these Muslims. You gotta be careful. You bring, (laughs) bring, call out Christianity, nothing will happen to you. Call out Jesus, nothing will happen to you. Call out Scientologists, something may happen to you. Call (laughs) out a lot of but like there's one thing you don't go, you know, you just don't go. You know, it's kind of like the 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 movie Tropic Thunder. What does he say? You never Nobody go, full-. <laughs> go full retard. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody. The point is, you don't ever bring and argue the Muslim religion, and there's risk to it. By the way, I've brought gangsters, <laughs> mobsters, <laughs> Sammy yeah. Gravano, and everybody will say, You cross the line with Muslims. They are fanatics. They will come after you, et cetera, et cetera. Then some of the people said, you know, hey, let me tell you the fact that you're bringing him. I think you're going to enjoy the conversation. You guys are not going to agree on everything, but I think you're going to enjoy it. He's reasonable. Some of the stuff he says is crazy, but you're going to enjoy it. Which, by the way, <laughs> right. to, be, to be fair, I've enjoyed this conversation a lot. And some of the people that know that I'm a capitalist, why would you give this guy a platform? This is my desire. I enjoy this. I walk away today saying, what a great way to start the day. But the one thing a lot of the Iranians will, will say, they'll say, Patrick he's a nayak <laughs> he's a nayak to how can you talk to a person from nayak do you realize he represents iran and he is a spokesperson for those guys and they defend and they want the nuclear deal because it was them that started the nuclear deal go look at the website who sits on their board Diane Feinstein Hillary Clinton you know Kamala Harris all of these guys you have to be very careful dealing with nayak now for people that know who nayak is americans don't say nayak Americans will say N-I-A-C, which is what? National Iranian Association of- National Iranian Iranian, American uh, Council. American Council. And so that's what N-I-A-C stands for. So- uh, the, on, you're on the website. Yeah, have you have your picture there. No, like, I'm not on the website. Maybe they removed no. it. you. Were on the web, you're you're on a website saying that you supported NIAC. Hmm. I can text it to you and show it to you listen, on some of the places. Listen. But tell me your position with NIAC and I, Iran don't, don't and where you're at.
0: Fuck about Nayak. Okay.
2: this this whole thing is so stupid. Well, people are asking. Just so you know,
0: people are asking because they've been brainwashed by a by a purposeful deliberate, well-funded, well-coordinated disinformation campaign that seeks to paint all progressive Iranian voices as regime supporters. My writing, Mm. I have written, spoken, been on TV. I mean, I have two decades of me on television talking about what I feel about this regime and what I think needs to happen to it. I have repeatedly called... For its downfall. I have repeatedly called it a murderous regime that belongs in the dustbin of history. My advisory role at NIAC, which I used to have, is because I am an expert on religion and politics. So I advise the Plowshares Fund, I advise NIAC, I advise the fucking State Department, I advise actual Congress people who are making these, these, these uh, decisions about what to do with Iran. I'm an expert in Iran, so I advise those groups. I have no loyalty or membership to NIAC. I'm not here to speak for To NIAC. be fair,
2: you don't advise the other side, though. You're strictly advising the progressive side. You're not advising which they support the nuclear deal, which you support as well.
0: A hundred
2: percent support the nuclear deal. So you deal. support negotiating with a nation that says Mad Bad America, death upon America. You're comfortable negotiating with a country that hates us.
0: Oh. I'm sorry. Who do we negotiate? We only negotiate with countries that love us. Is that how negotiations mm-hmm. work? Have you heard of the phrase diplomacy? But, 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 but diplomacy. There is no, there is no fully, negotiation with a country that actually why? agrees with you. But, but we question, negotiate with countries that disagree that. with us. I totally
2: us. Get, get that. But for the most part, the countries we negotiate with that disagree with us, they don't say death upon Americans. Iran says death upon Americans, the top of the Iran. This is not even the people in the streets. Who gives a Fuck. So what? So give $150 billion. That's a valid concern. That's a valid question. First
0: of all, it's their money that we are releasing in exchange for removing nuclear weapons from Iran. How do you suggest we remove nuclear
2: weapons from Iran, Patrick? Okay. I, I have ideas for Tell you. Me. I can give Tell it to you. Not to remove nuclear weapons. First of all, do you believe no matter whether we give them the money or not, they're not going to continue working on nuclear weapons? They literally didn't. But but, hold, hold Nope. We're not going to move
0: past this until we establish the facts. The JCPOA, which was negotiated by the United States, Russia, China, the Security Council, and Germany, which is extraordinary. The idea that those five countries came together and the European Union and agreed on anything, let alone agreed on this absolutely remarkable deal under the Obama administration— To remove all the enriched uranium out of Iran, there is zero doubt that that worked. Zero. The IAEA came out in no uncertain terms and said within 12 months of that deal being put in place, Iran no longer had the enriched uranium to create a nuclear bomb. Within 12 months. You have to be naive to believe
2: that. Okay. You have to uh, be, right. but,
0: but fair enough. Let's 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 right. buy into let's the naivete not, and okay. move forward. Okay, let, let's let's just you say okay. you're right. Let's say you're right. Let's not believe the people on the ground who
2: no, are I, actually I, monitoring the nuclear. To plans. to, to okay, believe fine, somebody fine. that believes in the values that they do. Yes, I don't okay. believe that. But let me go to the next one and I'll ask you the what's, question. What's, let me go to the next part and ask you the what's question. The alternative. Let me go back to the next one and ask you the question. Okay. Your father was right about Khomeini. Khomeini. Fair. Yeah,
0: absolutely.
2: Your father was right. So. Do you think a uh, uh, Iran, and I know this is going to be hard for you to answer this question, don't go Mossadegh. I'm purely talking Shah and the advancements we were making under Shah versus what happened to Iran under Khomeini, okay? If we had a choice between the two, we, this is not the, you can't say, well, I, I would choose this. I wouldn't choose either. If you had a choice between how Iran was during Shah's era versus Khomeini, which would you choose? Neither. I knew you were going to say that but you can't say Fuck neither You cannot is say that ni- How do you mean neither aga okay. How can you say neither? Be honest. You I mean, may, I'm being serious with you. You. May, you may literally have this
0: idea about the Shah's age that is, that is in your imagination. I do not have an idea about Shah's age. You don't Shah's remember age. the thousands of people that he slaughtered on the street, the tens of thousands of people who would disappear into education camps? We replaced one murderous regime with another murderous regime, and it's stupid the, to say which one would you prefer. It's, it's naive
2: for you to say what you just said. You said since you've left Iran in 79 till today, Adam asked you a question. When's the last time you visited? You said 2005, before I became famous. You didn't use the word famous, but before I became known in a marketplace. Okay, you haven't gone back since. Under Shah, you could go back. This is not about saying one did it right or one did okay, it wrong. Is your question which is more beneficial to me or which is better for Iran? It's uh, By the way, the Shah was more beneficial to the people. You're saying Khomeini is more beneficial to the people.
0: Fuck no, that's not what I said. So the question I'm asking I is literally said what to is you, more beneficial. You, you can't me, say neither, though. You are telling me... Which murderous regime would you prefer? The murderous regime of the Shah or the murderous you regime of the You cannot be that Ayatollah? naive though.
2: You cannot be that naive. Listen, if you take it from that route, if you take it from that route, the Reza Shah Pahlavi, okay? And Iran, where they were, which by the way, for me an imperialist Are model? You I'm not an imperialist. My model would be more what we have in America. What I'm asking you a simple question you can't answer. During Khomeini Millions of people died from other countries. Other innocent people died because of Khomeini's policies and his regime. This is not Reza Pahlavi's. other people died because of his regime. You can't give that argument. Okay. For you to say if that I'm going to choose both if the if same. What you want
0: to do is a fun intellectual exercise in which you are saying, gun to my head, I can only pick. The murderous regime of the Shah or the murderous regime of the Ayatollahs. It's different. Which one would you want? You say I would
2: it. say the murderous regime of the Shah. Okay, so then because you got a gun to my head. Not because I got a gun to your head. Because logically, it makes sense to say right after Khomeini, you're you're probably not leaving Iran if Shah was still uh, uh, in Iran. No, or not being in Iran, probably you not, probably no. would, and I would and probably, I would be,
0: and I'd be probably miserable. I, I would, pro- have, I wouldn't have no, I you wouldn't have right. I don't I think so. I,
2: I disagree. You would have chosen to leave to another country. You would have chosen to
0: come to. A, I think you've got a nostalgia for the days of the Shah I don't that have a nostalgia. A, a lot of
2: like Make America Great Again. But this, but this, to me, takes you back to why Nayak gets the criticism that it does. Because for you, you're saying give 150 billion dollars to those no. guys to Iran. That's it's their anything. money. No, it's you're their putting money words anyways, in my mouth. But you're saying it's their money. Anyways. No,
0: you're putting words in my mouth. Begu, we have two options okay. with Iran's nuclear program. Yeah. Two options and nothing else. Two options. Period. We have a third option. What's the third option?
2: I'll give you the third option.
0: Option so, one, we blow the shit out of it. Okay. Option two, we use negotiation and diplomacy. What's your third option?
2: Very simple. It's very simple what you do with option three. Option three is the same exact thing that happened in different nations. Iran Iran is going through a potential revolution today. Hold on. I want to make it clear. Please. I am talking about 2012.
0: I am not talking about 2022 i'm not i have never said we should renegotiate the the nuclear program now you're asking me did i support the jcpoa
2: versus today
0: today well, we, there's no country let, to but negotiate let me, let me with. tell you let me so, tell let me take. Ta- but let me make sure i'm glad you clarified loses its fucking i'm mind, glad
2: you clarified that i am
0: not saying you going back 10 years fair
2: now. so then let- was it right in 2012 a hundred percent let me make my right. point let me make my point on what i'm thinking and i want to hear your rebuttal on this and your argument on this for me, it's the following. Uh, have you heard of John Perkins, the economic hitman guy, the author? He's a hardcore uh, yeah, right, progressive. Yeah, yeah, right. Very very interesting guy. I had him on two times. I really like talking mm-hmm. to that guy. Uh, and it's very interesting, his arguments, what they did you know, to cause nations to go down. Do you think uh, the current model and the government today in Iran is good for its people and good for the world? Fuck no. Okay, fair. We're on the same page. So is it fair to say that if we can figure out a way... To help the Iranian people, not the government, the Iranian people to cause a fall in Iran, that's probably a good noble thing for us to do. That's, that has been my goal for 20 years. Fantastic. Then if doing that, your mission of wanting to do that, which Nayak's mission is for the people, policy to help with the people, that doesn't align with the rulers and the president and the people that run Iran. You guys don't share a common value. You disagree- I, I, you're wrong. You're you, absolutely wrong. So you're wrong. telling me, you're telling me, the Foreign Minister Javad Zarif, like you're saying his ideal situation is to bring democracy to Iran? No. What you're saying is can we pursue
0: policies in the United States to help the people of Iran? and have we been my answer is we have not been we have not uh, uh, 40 years of blanket sanctions has not helped the people of iran it has only entrenched the government further and there's reams of academic data that can that indicates that the question is does the for instance nuclear deal the jcpoa in 2012 did that help the, would that have helped the government or the people and there is very good real like meaningful arguments to be made that it it would only help the government i disagree because there are much better arguments that it would only help people why goes back to your god capitalism the free market the iranian people live in an oppressive murderous uh, theocratic regime and As a part of American policy, we have decided that we're going to blanket sanction everyone in the hopes that eventually they'll rise up and take down their government. Four decades. Four decades we've been doing that. Now, instead, the argument of the JCPOA was very simple. A, we get to get rid of Iran's nuclear capabilities without launching a war. Like giving them 150 billion. Without, again... I want to make sure that you understand that this isn't my 150 million or your 150 million.
2: That's the only reason I said it doesn't matter. You're strengthening them what you are doing you're strengthening their government
0: you, it's not about the money that you give them it doesn't it's about get to the, the people.
2: liberalization you cannot of be the that economy. naive to think the money goes to the people
0: i'm not talking about the money going to the people what i am talking about is the policies that arise from the jcpoa which requires the liberalization of iran's economy what iran what the iranian people it's need It's not going to happen What the Iranian people need in order to actually succeed in bringing down their government is access to the free market, is access to the rest of the world. By giving money to the government? You are conflating two different things. Listen to me. I'm not saying that the money in exchange for the nuclear weapons is what is going to free Iran. I am saying that the policies pursued by the JCPOA— have on top of it the goal of economic liberalization in Iran which is why i argued 10 years ago that Iran should be allowed into the world trade organization because then it would have to actually pursue policies that require economic you, you, you liberalization can't negotiate
2: with reason unreasonable people it's impossible That's to negotiate with unreasonable people who
0: we re- do, do you know how much shit we send to North Korea right now? Do you know how many billions of dollars in aid we send to North Korea? Is there anyone more unreasonable... Then Kim Jong-un, that's who we negotiate with, is unreasonable people. Because the other option with unreasonable people is you just bomb the shit out
2: of them. I know you're a hardcore capitalist. As a capitalist yourself, don't confuse the two Okay, with a Judeo-Christian nation that we're talking about here. I'm not talking about North Korea here. I'm talking specifically (laughs) to Iran. If you go back and you think about during the Shah era, when that place is safe, everybody around them felt safe. Nobody in Iran feels safe right
0: Nobody now. Nobody in Iran felt safe in the Shah. Of course era. they did.
2: Of course it's called Maybe great power. Maybe you and your family no, did. Yours did as well. What are you talking <laughs> about? Are you your your example is the perfect one? The moment Shah left, your dad as a communist left. What are you my, talking about? My
0: father didn't you, feel safe. In, in then Iran? why
2: didn't he leave under the Shah? Why did he leave when Khomeini came in? You realize how much hypocrisy there is for that? That there's contradiction wow. to that. I but, honestly, but let me explain. a lot of the things that well, I, I understood about sh-
0: you. I never honestly thought that you were going to sit here and actually defend the.
2: Fucking Shah. Are you like, kidding me? You're defending Khomeini. You're defending no, Iran. You're defending all the have people I, that have I died. Khomeini? You chose 50-50. Have I, hold on. Have has anyone here actually heard in, me say that? Indirectly you are. Indirectly you are. When I asked you between the Shah and the Khomeini, you said it's neither. What are Absolutely you talking? You're saying neither. Khomeini and Shah are the same. You have to be naive no. to say that. I didn't say they were the same. What I said your, was But your replaced, family, to be fair, both, your family both murderous regimes. Baby, I left in 89. I, I left 89. Okay, my family was actually the family that thought Iran was gonna figure it out. I'm part of that family. Yeah. If I would have left early, if I had your father, I would have been mm-hmm. like, hey man, we're in the we're in US already. I would have a 10 year lead. But my dad took 10 more years with mom because they thought that this thing's gonna get figured out, right? All I'm saying to you right now is the following I have four kids. I would love to take my kids to Iran to Jam Hospital. I'd love to walk I'd love to go eat at Abeli, Jigar, Duh, original Duh. I dream about Balal that time. To, you know, uh, uh, what's that one park? Uh, park is Shahan Shahi. It's a different name right now, whatever it's called. Or go to Bandar Palavi. It's not called Bandar Palavi anymore. My mother said they're from uh, uh, Rasht and Bandar Palavi yeah. area. Yeah. It's my dream to go there. I think, my opinion, by giving these guys, even if it's their money back, to make the government even stronger, you're delaying those people being free. You're delaying it right. 10, 15, Maybe 20, 20 more years.
0: Let's, let's establish, what's your goal for Iran?
2: My goal for Iran is to be a nation that is freer than it is today. Okay, Free such as- uh, We have the exact same goal. We do, but okay. our approach is a different How approach. How do you
0: think we get to a freer Now it's in 45 years. Yeah. It's been 45 years where we've done one thing all we have done for 45 years is sanction, contain, and isolate. 45 years. Yeah. Now you tell me. Yeah. Have we gotten this much closer to the Iran that you're asking L- so, for?
2: So, so let me let me. You're saying
0: American policy.
2: Yeah. American no, I, I, policy I understand fully what he's saying. Has been
0: sanctions, isolation, can you, by containment. By the way,
2: can you tell is Karina the, to tell the people to get on the Zoom? I'm six minutes late. I'm going to be there in four minutes.
0: <laughs> tell uh, me, have we
2: have we have we actually pursued your goal? Have we pursued our goal? So my answer is going to upset you, okay? And just brace for impact. Maybe take a deep breath, USA, and then take <laughs> it. And, and then you're probably going to upset me as well. But but you know my answers. These are my answers. I think there are a lot of people in the world that want to keep Iran in the havoc that it is today. Absolutely. I think there's a lot of people that if Saudi could. Arabia, a Israel lot of, I, I, It's not just Saudi Arabia or Israel There's a lot of people here It's UK, it's a lot of yeah. people The last time Iran was very powerful They became a little too powerful And they're like, wait a minute, pump your brakes you, My people are going to your place Elizabeth Taylor is dating Zahedi Frank Sinatra's coming <laughs> and performing concerts in Iran. Yeah, yeah, The richest people in the world in the '70s yeah. are going to Iran for vacation. The top three country in the world, countries in the world for vacation, is Iran. Are you out of your freaking mind? They're killing it, guys. We got to kind of slow. They need havoc in the Middle East. It's a necessity for some. Financially, it's a necessity for some. Politically, it's a necessity. It's just like. Yeah, but we're talking but, about the Iranian but, people. But let me let me. Exp- it's the same, Has this policy it's the helped same, the Iranian it's people? It's the same way. As many progressive, not you or Democrats, would like to keep certain communities and sects poor because they keep winning that vote. If they lose that vote, if they start becoming financially free, we're not getting off the subject. We're not getting off the subject. What I'm saying to you is I'm giving you my opinion. I don't think they want to free it. Having said that, my approach would be any possible way. To give the power to the people, how, anyway. How? How they, do we give the power to the people? You, you, they need weapons in Iran. The people don't have okay, weapons. We're
0: not going to. We're not going to ship weapons to Iran like it's. You're Ukraine. asking me a question. Okay, I'm telling let's you. Let's talk so, about
2: the realm of the possible. The, but, no, no. The realm of the possible is not logical. What needs to be done is not on freaking black and white. It's a lot of gray needs to get done for this thing to get done. It ain't no black and white type of stuff. You need a similar situation on what happened with Mossadegh and what happened with the Shah, as crazy as this sounds. They've done this before to a guy that would be considered a Republican, the Shah, and they did it to a guy that would have been seen as a socialist Mossadegh. So how, you they think, have the how you think we help the people in Iran is by giving them weapons? That is one of many different ways to do it. One of many different okay. ways to do it. That's one of the ways to do How it. How do we yes.
0: empower those people to actually be able to remove their government
2: from By power? suffocating their government. How do we suffocate By suff- their government? Why do you think all these girls right now are willing to sacrifice Hold their on. lives do for you what, think, though? Do you think what do you think su- the women right now are doing in Iran? What do you think they're doing it for? They're sacrificing their lives Why are they for doing their most it for? basic human rights. B- basic yes. human rights, things that like you and I have here. Absolutely. I support that, and I support right. the more we strengthen their government, the less power we give them. So the more money we, we give to the government, the less money we give to, less right, power we give to right, them. Right. Right. So how? So you do
0: realize that right now mm-hmm. the rich people in Iran are the people in government, the mullahs with the Rolexes. Sandarsha. I don't disagree. The, the, so I don't disagree. Forty-five years of sanctions
2: sure. has made the people poor and the government rich. No, what they do is the government from the top says. See what America did to you, right? See what America did and we to take you. Take it all. And, no, no. See, we take it all, yeah. and then hey, U.S. send us more money, or else we're going to keep saying bad about recall. We're going to keep no. saying America's the evil empire. That's what they do.
0: No, it's not about American empire. It's about an
2: existential threat to the no, world. No, it's with not. Nuclear Iran, weapons. Iran has a, no, no. <laughs> Iran has money. It's not like Iran doesn't have money. The, <laughs> the level of a, again, again, let's not confuse things. The nuclear
0: deal was to get nuclear weapons capabilities out of Iran, and it was. According to five countries, the government. Oh, according to five countries, it was worth giving them money the, in order to I, do that. So here, now here's the question. Here's the question to you. You're saying that for 45 years the government has gotten richer and the people have gotten poorer. Yes, and that's because the government has a monopoly on the black market. So yeah. I'm saying, actually, let's invest in the free market. Let's give the, the people you're, on the you're, ground you're naive access to, think to the, the money. Free goes to them. The money goes well, to you them. You can't be that naive. If you have four degrees. I don't have a degree. The money goes to them if they actually have an ability to access it, if they have access to the free market economy, if they are have access serious? to like interdependent trade relations. you think they're
2: trade have, trade have access to that. For if, you're a business owner,
0: if you're a business owner in Iran, let's say you're selling bis- carpets. Y- Iran's okay? business. You're selling, you're selling pistachios. Yes. You can't sell pistachios on the international market. So you, that's not about the mullahs keeping all the money for them. They can Yeah. The fact of the matter is, and for a capitalist like you, I can't believe you're disagreeing with this.
2: I'm against the the government having the the the, power to bully its people, which is what it's been doing for 44 years. You're for it. I'm against it.
0: That's bullshit. And then say that
2: I'm for it. Then what do you mean give them the $150 billion to the government? Your argument is that. If you're saying the argument is let them have their money that's theirs, you're not thinking we're strengthening them? I think we have a common mission, by the way.
0: My argument, and I'm going to say this one last time, is that. In exchange in 2012 for the removal of you're, nuclear you're weapons capabilities. Them. You're believing them. For in exchange for nuclear weapons capabilities, which have the stringest investigative group, the IAEA. Now you can say, oh, fuck the IAEA, fuck the UN. They all don't know anything. OK, well, then there's nothing really to talk about. But the people on the ground who actually take the tests told us in no uncertain terms that it was working. That's a fact. The point is... Separate that from this larger conversation that we're having, which is how do you empower the people in Iran to bring down their governments? And it's a legitimate argument. I'm not saying you're wrong or dumb for thinking that you know sanctions is the right way of doing it. You're
2: not dumb. It's naive. It's two different stories.
0: What I'm I'm saying is, there are two ways to do this. You could either blanket sanction the entire country, and as we know, 45 years of that has led to the the uh, government being more entrenched than it's ever been and the people at the top being billionaires and everyone else barely struggling or any other thing, 45 years, any other thing. And what is the other thing? Well, it's quite easy. There are mechanisms in place already that allow for an investment on the ground of the Iranian people themselves, access to the free market economy, which comes with rules. Here's the problem okay, with forty-five:
2: 45- with rules. The uh-huh. rules are World Bank rules, dude. Rules are uh, you, you? You? Okay. So so so, if I negotiate with a murderer, you think he's accustomed to? Following the rules, this, if if no, I if listen, I negotiate with a nation with a government like theirs, you think they follow what's in a contracts? It's you, so There's simple. no way you believe like, that. I understand that you have
0: this this mystical view of what the Iranian government is that exists in this kind of existential. I just plane listen of to of what evil. they say. No, no, I just but listen they, to what they say. You there don't think they're evil? People who care I, about their own livelihood and they care about I, nothing else. I do think they okay. care
2: about their livelihood. The government people care about their wealth. I their do wealth, agree with you exactly. Yeah. So, but but I'm talking about its people. That's what I'm talking about.
0: And what I'm saying is, right now, we have nothing but the stick. We have no
2: carrot at all in Iran.
0: There's nothing that United States you giving carrot to do. the
2: wrong guy. The, the, you're giving carrot to the guy that's got plenty of carrots. He's we're been giving, overdosing on we're carrot. We're giving
0: carrot to the economy.
2: No, you're not giving here's, a carrot to the here's economy. What, here's how I mean, I'm a Syrian, and, Armenian. I'm a Syrian and Armenia. Let me tell you what both sides will say. You ready? Here's a criticism. Here's a criticism both sides will say. And I want to wrap it up. We'll go off. If you're up for uh, part two, three hours, I'm up for bringing you back. I, you have no idea how much I've enjoyed. I'm being serious with you. I'm being you. serious. Okay. So I'll, I'll tell you this. Armenian Assyrian. David Bedavid, Bed David Assyrian, Bogosyan Armeni. Okay. You know, every time when people say, hey, you know, let me tell you what's going on. Send money to this charity. Send money to go help the Assyrians. How come you're not giving money here? And I'll send money. You know, both sides of my family will say, mm. never send money. You know Why? Because it goes to the wrong people. Because it never goes to its people. Yes. You said it. You know this reputation. So if you and I are giving money, 150 billy, to the government, we have to be naive to believe it's going to end up to its people. That's what it's I'm saying. It's not going to end
0: up to its people, and that's what that's We're strengthening the way it's something different. That. Okay, anyway. I, but hold on, hold on. I, I need to say one last thing because if, if you probably know anything about me, you know that I get cut up and re-edited and... There's an entire industry online meant to make me look in a certain way. That's not us. We don't do that. I want to say something. I want to say a final word here because it's very important. And I'm hoping that this final word will make it. I have absolutely nothing but loathing for the Iranian government, for the Islamic Republic. It is a murderous, terroristic regime that slaughters its own children. It has no legitimacy whatsoever. It belongs in the dustbin of history. The only proper response of this current revolution, and it is a a revolution, is not for reform. It's not for a little bit more rights. It's to burn the whole thing down and start all over again, and I wholeheartedly support that. The question is how do we empower those young people? How do we give them the tools necessary in order to burn it down? Okay. Next that's time, the difference.
2: Next time, how about we do this? Next time, we just do podcasts on Iran. Okay. Not religion, so we're like, and it's just going to be you and I. I thought I also
0: wrote a book, by I, well, no, no, what And
2: by the way, just so you know what you just said, that's a clip, and we're going to put the entire clip of Iran, me and you going back and forth, and your last part will be in it as well as a closing. Just so you know, so the audience, we don't play those games. Please tell us about your new book. The book is a biography
0: of Howard Baskerville, who was a 22-year-old Christian missionary from Nebraska in 1907. He got assigned to Tabriz, the city of Tabriz in Iran, to go preach the gospel and teach English. And he showed up in the middle of Iran's first revolution, the Constitutional Revolution of 1905. Uh, uh, He showed up in 1907 in the middle of it. This was the first democratic revolution in the entire Middle East. It led to uh, the first constitution and also a parliament um, in Iran. The Shah uh, launched a war against the, the constitutionalists. That war kind of culminated in the city of Tabriz. And at that moment, uh, Howard Baskerville, this 22-year-old Christian missionary, gave up his missionary post and his American citizenship and joined the revolutionaries in this fight against the Shah uh, for democracy. They won. They 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 beat the Shah. They exiled him. They established the constitution, and they established uh, a parliament. Iran was a constitutional monarchy for a very, very short amount of time um, until uh, Reza Pahlavi, the father of the man that you... Your meet, hero. The, the father of the man that you weirdly seem to have some nostalgia the for. The father of the man. Reza Khan? Reza Khan, no, yeah. He was... Uh, he was uh,
1: he was yeah, a declared, a military,
0: declared a military coup uh, on Iran, brought down the parliament. He's a and, feared and man. He was a, a, this is where we are now. Yeah. Well, the point is, it's incredible story of this American Christian who is still considered a hero uh, in Iran
2: today. Rob, link in the chat. Link in description. Folks, go buy the book. Uh, he has a track record of writing books that gets people thinking, talking, mm-hmm. debating. Reza, once again, truly... Thank you. Thank you so much for coming out. I, I really cannot wait it. for the next one. This two hours felt like two minutes to me. I love appreciate it. you. Let's come back. Let's come let's back when
3: Iran we win. Let's go to Iran together, <laughs> bro.
2: Let's go to Iran together. Next to year that. in Tehran. Next year in Tehran. <laughs> <laughs> Podcast, my man. <laughs> next year Thank you, everybody. Have a great weekend. We're not doing another one this week. We'll do it again next week. Take care. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye.